get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on GoToDobbs.com today. This is the BK and Ferrario Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Joseph puts it in play, base hit in the left, he scores. here comes O'Neal, he will score, and the Cardinals have taken the lead, 3-2 here in the ninth. Betts out to left, O'Neal back, he caught it! Tyler O'Neal with the catch up against the wall, and the Cardinals win it! 3-2, and what a play by O'Neal to finish off game two! You know, that's what we train for, so we take reads every day in BP. So we live for making those catches late in the game. So we were able to get her done. That's as impressive a ninth inning performance from a non-closer as you'll ever see. With Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex Ferrario is out today. The Cardinals pick up a huge win. Line. Three to two on the road in L.A. against the Dodgers who were throwing a bullpen game. They got off to a great start. They slumped there throughout the middle. And then in the end, when they needed it most, Tyler O'Neill was the guy that came through again. He singles to lead off the top of the ninth. He steals second. Then he comes home on a great base running play by him on an Edmundo Sosa single. And then in the bottom of the ninth, you just heard it there, that audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. One of the best plays defensively of the Cardinal season. I mean, I don't I have not seen the numbers on it, what the expected rates are were or whatever. That's a five star catch. Given the moment, given how significant that win was for the Cardinals, that's as good a play as you'll see. And Tyler O'Neill has just been on fire of late. Yeah, he's playing really well. And four five-star catches, I would argue, in that game last night. Tommy Edmond leaps up, makes a catch. Tyler O'Neill, Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson's. And then, okay, I'll go four and a half. O'Neill sprinting in, cutting in front of Arnado to make that catch. Okay. That's a tough play. That's a good one, yeah. That's a four and a half, maybe not a five. But, yeah, the defense, I'm really glad – that we can't we don't find the audio of this but let's not forget in the offseason i'll say screw defense you don't need defense. we need to hit the ball we got to hit the ball if, if it weren't for the defense last night you don't win that game easily hands down it's huge and tyler o'neill was asked after the game because we all knew he had the power he hadn't shown it on a consistent level at the big league uh with the big league club but we knew he had the power to be a consistent threat at the plate it's the defense and the base running that have really come through. Here's Tyler O'Neill on how many different ways he can affect the game. It doesn't have to be, you know, ball in the gap or a homer or things like that. It can impact it defensively or, you know, getting getting the extra 90 feet on the base path. So, again, it's what we train for. You know, i got to be prepared for all scenarios. And, uh, again, it worked out tonight, all right. And Mike Schilt was asked after the game what he saw from O'Neill specifically in that ninth inning, as impressive a performance as you'll see. I mean, total package on the ninth, right? I mean, it's a missile to center to get things started. You know, fake bunt, steal, takes the bag, and then makes a tremendous play with his legs and his athleticism to end the game. So, um, but yeah, as far as um, we wouldn't expect him to be apprehensive, steal a bag, but, you know, just go play the game and play it aggressively, play it right, and he was able to do that tonight. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. 
We also have the Rhino Shield mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app, and I want to hear from you guys today. This one comes from the 314. I'll say it. O'Neal is way more valuable than Harrison Bader. There's a ton of average players like Bader out there. O'Neal has a special set of skills. I don't think there's a ton of players like Harrison Bader out there. I think that's overstating things. He's a special defensive center fielder. But in terms of his offensive skill set, definitely, totally agree with you. But that should not take away from that last part of it. O'Neal has a very special set of skills. And it is incredibly unique to find a player with this blend of athleticism. And it's not just speed, it's athleticism and power. The way that he has played since the start of May is an all-star. I mean, we are watching what could be a all-star beginning of the year. He's probably not going to get in because of the lack of name recognition and because of the injuries. But since the start of May, so basically a month now, he's played in 20 games. He's batting 305. He has six doubles, seven homers, and 18 RBI in that stretch. He has three steals. If you tried to pace this thing out, and it's crazy to do so, it's a 20-game sample size. That's incredibly small. You'd be talking about 50 doubles, 56 home runs, and 25 stolen bases over the course of a 162-game season. Well, that sounds pretty good. That'll play. <laughs> like When we ask so often, why are the Cardinals so patient with some of these guys? And we get frustrated. We want them to go out there and make a move. Tyler O'Neill is why. What you're seeing right now out of Edmundo Sosa, that's why. These are the guys that have made good on the Cardinals staying patient, staying the course, and trying to find out, okay, what do we have in this guy? And when they have a special set of skills, the way that Tyler O'Neill does, this is what they're capable of. It's going to go through a dry spell eventually, Tanner, but what you're seeing right now, this is the high end of what he can do. Yeah, this is the ceiling that the Cardinals expected, and I get the frustration because I was frustrated. As a fan, you go, come on, we've already seen it. We know what he's got. But it takes time to develop. Not, And you go, well, well he's developed in the minor leagues. Well, that's a different that's a different ballgame. That's just working on your skills. You get to the majors, you have to take it up another level because it's Major League Baseball. You're facing the best of the best. And him getting this time and getting the starts in left field and knowing he's a guy. And I think he's talked about it, too. There's no pressure of someone, if I go 0 for 10, I'm going to the bench. And we've seen that play crucial roles in a lot of guys' development. Colton Wong was one of those guys. I think we're seeing Tyler O'Neill again, you're right, he's not going to sustain this, but I think we're seeing Tyler O'Neill become your everyday left fielder and your fifth or sixth hole hitter for the future going long term. You remember we talked to Tory Hunter before the season, and we asked Tory about a guy like uh, Tyler O'Neill, who has had his struggles, but now you're getting to the point where it's like, okay, it's kind of a make or break season for him in terms of being a consistent starter on the Cardinals. We asked Tyler, or we asked, um, Tory Hunter, what is that click like for you? When, when you can feel it change, what is, what goes into that? And Tory Hunter told us, well, there came a point in time where I just said, I'm not listening to anybody else. I'm If I'm going to succeed or fail at the big league level, it's going to be based on the way that I want to play. And I think we've seen that from Tyler O'Neill this year. He has set aside all of the walks and strikeout question marks. He is not walking at all. In the last month, he has two walks. He, he's going up there knowing exactly what his plan is, and he is attacking. He's striking out as high of a rate as he ever has. I'm not criticizing him. You're not criticizing him. I would imagine our text line isn't going to be doing a whole lot of criticizing of him right now because when you hit the ball this hard, this consistently, that stuff still matters. If he stops hitting the ball consistently, it's going to be an issue. But when you're hitting the ball like this, it matters a hell of a lot less 
And suddenly we're starting to see the player that he believes he could be. And the Cardinals have always known he could be. And there have been some changes. There have been some changes that O'Neill has clearly made at the plate. He's swinging more, especially on pitches in the zone. So he's attacking. He's hitting the ball harder than he ever has. This is the highest exit velocity he's had at any point in his career. And the biggest change for him. I mentioned this with Danny Mack. He's now doing damage with breaking pitches. Last night, he didn't see a single breaking pitch, and that was for a reason. In 2018, he hit 115 against breaking balls. 2019, 173 against breaking balls. 2020, 185 against breaking balls. He was under the Mendoza line against breaking pitches every year of his major league career until this year. Now he's batting 290 against breaking balls with a 755 slugging percentage. You can't throw him anything that breaks and expects to get away with it right now because he is punishing those pitches. And that was the number one thing heading into the offseason or coming into this season was you looked at O'Neill and you looked at Bader and you said, well, you can throw off speed to both these guys. Bader has seemed to make the adjustment. O'Neill has really made the adjustment. He, as you mentioned, he's just crushing the baseball. You know, someone you talk about his who he's kind of this weird. There's no real comp for him. He's kind of a cocktail mix. He's got yeah. raw power, and he strikes out a lot like Chris Davis of the Orioles, except he's right-handed, of course. His speed is like Billy Hamilton-esque when Hamilton was in his prime. And then his defense, I'm not quite sure who the comp is on his defense. It might be like David Peralta type from Arizona. That's that, a good comp, actually. Yeah. I mean, there's there's that cocktail mix of Tyler O'Neill. That, that's the perfect player that you want. Maybe not perfect. Strikeouts, you maybe would like to see less of. But he's the perfect combination of that. So, And with him hitting the breaking ball, you're not going to be able to get him out. His hands are so freaking fast that at some point, too, fastballs are going to become his bread and butter, too. And they, they have been this year. That's the crazy thing is he's also hitting 280 against fastballs so far this year. And this was an issue for him last year. He couldn't catch up to the fastball for some reason. But for the majority of his career, the thing pitchers were doing was they would just throw him breaking stuff because they knew if I throw him a fastball, his hands are too fast. He's going to get around on it. It's over for me. He had been a really good fastball hitter in his career prior to last season and he's continued to do that very well now again he's rebounded from what was a weird 2020 season for him and when he's hitting those breaking balls now you've got a player that's experiencing a legitimate breakout and if you're somebody that's listening to me today and you're saying to yourself like bk how how are you possibly coming around on this guy when you've been the one that's been down on him all this time totally fair (laughs) i get it that's true I'm still a little skeptical that this can continue. I don't know that he's going to be a 50 home run player, but when a player proves me wrong and what I'm watching consistently from him right now is a guy that is clearly proving me wrong, I have to adjust. I have to adjust to what we're seeing on a night in night out basis. And Tyler O'Neill right now is playing like an all-star. He's playing like a guy that deserves to be out there every single day. I've got questions about the injuries. It's concerning to me how many times he's been on the injured list. I do have some concerns about the strikeouts and the walks. Eventually, that could catch up to him. But if he stays with this approach against the breaking pitches and he still succeeds against the fastballs the way that he has for almost the entirety of his career, this can be a really good player that changes your lineup when he's batting sixth or seventh in there. This is the type of player that teams like the Padres and the Dodgers have that the Cardinals for years have not. It, it, it could be a difference maker for him. Yeah, it, it could be. And I heading into the season, you know, we talked about our top 20 list earlier on the Danny Maxwell with BK and how a lot of those guys are hurt. 
Tyler O'Neill, I thought Paul DeYoung was going to be this Tyler O'Neill guy. Guy that's going to have this kind of power, going to strike out a lot, going to be inconsistent, but he's going to play good defense, and he's going to bat fifth behind Goldie and Arnato. Well, he struggled, so then someone had to take that mantle, and it's Tyler O'Neill. You don't have Tyler O'Neill. Sure, Yachty's offense has been great, but I don't know if his is sustainable. If you don't have Tyler O'Neill on this team and playing like this, I think we're looking at a team that's below 500 this season. Yeah, I mean, you look at, I mentioned the last 20 games that Tyler O'Neill has been so good. He's The Cardinals are 13-7 and seven in those 20 games, and Tyler O'Neill is a big part of why. He's bringing the power production that they would lack if they didn't have him in the lineup right now. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. You can always get in touch with us as well via the Rhino Shield mic drop feature. I want to ask you guys what we just talked about. Are you buying into the Tyler O'Neill experience? And to what degree? Because I'm buying in. I do have some skepticism about it, but I'm buying in on the fact that he is an everyday outfielder for this team right now that's a real difference maker. How far are you willing to go with Tyler O'Neill right now? We'll get to some of those Rhino Shield mic drops coming up in the 12 o'clock hour. Coming up next, though, from the 618. Guys, John Gant was so good that Alex had to call off. He was. That's true. He did. And we got to talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Lux breaks his bat. Shallow right center. Sliding catch. He caught it. He caught it. Dylan Carlson. Robs Lux. Keeps the Dodgers off the board. What a play in center the defense coming up once again for John Gant, just the way he drew it up. It's 1120. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We'll talk to Katie Wu, our Cardinals insider coming up here in just about 10 minutes or so. We're going to talk about John Gant though, because Tanner, I was hard on John Gant. I was, I was too very, very late to this party. A lot of you are going to have an I told you so moment today, both with Tyler O'Neill and John Gant, and it's totally justified in doing so. I didn't think he could sustain this. And the more that we see this, especially against quality opponents, he did it against the White Sox. He did it against the Reds. Now he did it against the L.A. Dodgers. Six shutout innings against maybe the best team in all of baseball. I've got to take notice on that. And I've got to adjust what my expectations are moving forward for John Gant. Do I think he's going to be a guy that consistently goes out there and throws seven innings and is an ace for this staff? Absolutely not. But should he be a consistent part of this rotation moving forward and a guy that we stop talking about? Hey, let's move John Gant to the bullpen. Yeah, we got to stop doing that. Because if you can do this against the Dodgers, you can do it against just about anybody I'm no longer going to continue to say this is completely unsustainable. I think there's something about the way that he pitches that makes it more sustainable than for other guys. I'm with you. I'm done saying it, but I still think it's very unlikely that he can continue this. It's impressive the way he gets people on and then somehow works his way out of this. And I'm with you. We're at the point now where it's when everybody's healthy, John Gant deserves to have the conversation of saying this guy belongs in the rotation because He's incredible. When he gets runners on scoring position, his average against him is like 160 or something <laughs> crazy. It's unbelievable. And I was the last one. You said heading into this start that you would you would probably buy into John Gant. Yep. Yeah, I'm the last one. I'm buying in. And the, the thing for me, too, is just the way that he doesn't allow hard contact, too. 
everything that was hit last night was not very hard against him. So that's the thing. I think the way that he's able to get away with this is very unique. And part of it is the ground ball rate, right? We've talked about this before. He has a sinker that when he wants to throw it and he needs to get a ground ball, he typically gets it. He also is a guy that just never allows home runs. He has the lowest home run rate among all National League starters that have thrown at least 40 innings this year. He's he's allowing like 2% of his pitches to, to go for, or 2% of his batted balls to go for home runs. That's incredibly low. It's also the lack of slugging in general. Opposing hitters this year against John Gant are slugging 285. That would be a bad slugging percentage for like a major league pitcher at the plate. And that's what they're doing against John Gant this year. Guys that have a worse slugging percentage against this year than John Gant. This is just a brief list of players that have a worse slugging percentage than him. Zach Wheeler, Trevor Bauer. He's good. You Darvish. He's good. Jack Flaherty, Max Scherzer, Clayton Kershaw. Wow. Guys just can't hit hard against him. They can't hit for extra base hits. And so when you have a guy that is walking way too many batters and he is still doing that and he is allowing too many base runners in general, but he's preventing the hard contact, he's preventing extra base hits. It's almost like in in the NFL, there are some defenses that are really good at bending but not breaking. They get into the red zone and they shut things down. The Ravens have been good at that for years. They, They come up with a big play when they need to. That's basically John Gant as a pitcher. He is a bend but don't break pitcher. And when he gets into the stretch and he's got runners on, he ends up finding a way out of it. I don't think he's going to have a 1.6 ERA all season long. That part is unsustainable. What about uh, average on runners in scoring position, 109? Probably not. But can he be a guy that ends up with around a 3 ERA this season as a starter and gives you 150 innings? Yeah, I think that's in play for him. And that's that's basically where my expectations have shifted for John Cant. I think he's a really solid number four pitcher. And if he is a guy that is your number four starter in your rotation right now, I think you're feeling pretty good about where you're at as a, as a, as a team. I'm with you because the way he's pitching of late, and that was his first quality start. No, excuse me. That was his second quality start of the season. And we laughed yesterday when I said, oh, I'd love to see a, a quality start from John Gainey. You guys said, well, that seems to be expecting too much. No, he went out and did it. So I was right on. But I think him giving you five innings about every time out and giving up less than three runs is what you should expect from John Gant. And I still think, as much as I've said, there's no way this is sustainable. Yesterday, he was very efficient. Now, yes, he did allow, I think it was nine total base runners, if I'm not mistaken, seven, seven total base runners. But I think he can still be efficient enough to where he only had three walks. So if he can stay about that three walk range, and as we mentioned, he's not being hit hard. I don't think it's too crazy to say, you know what? I think John Gant could go out there and give me a quality start maybe once every two times through through the rotation. I, I think he's a guy that the way he's pitching and yes, he has only two quality starts on the year. But I don't think it's unreasonable to say, you know what, I Gant, you've played really, you've pitched really well. You're doing really well with runners in scoring position. I think you can get up just another level and get that sixth inning. Give us one more inning and give us some more quality starts, especially with Jack Flaherty being out. I think you can hope for it. I'm not sure you can expect it is the way that I would put it. I, I think he has the potential to be that guy. But for the here and now, if he can consistently, he has to consistently get you through five. If he can do that, that's that's got to be the starting point. We have an interesting question from the 804. Guys, other than Adam Wainwright, who was the Cardinals' last starting pitcher to come out of the bullpen and succeed the way that John Gant has? Was it Lance Lynn? I was gonna say, he started Lynn. out in the pen. I, I'm trying to think. Walker, 
had some opportunities there, and maybe he would be somebody that you could look at potentially. Seymour's starting the pin, or he's come straight to the rotation. He did as well, so maybe you could go Carlos Martinez. Those would probably be the ones that I would look at as being kind of the comps for him. And Lance Lynn might be the comparison. Like He's not going to be the 200-inning starter that Lance Lynn was for the Cardinals, but I know early on there were a lot of people that were hesitant to buy into the way that he pitched as well because he was basically just a fastball starter. He's throwing that like 80-85% of the time, and that's difficult to get away with as a starter. But now he's done it for the last decade, and so I think everything's buying into what he is now, and it just took a while because he's an outlier possible John Gant is just one of those outliers as well and it takes w- longer to buy into those players but I, I think I'm there at this point yeah I think I'm with you the the Lynn comp's an interesting one because I didn't really think of him because I always think with Lynn I'm always thinking fastball with Gant I'm thinking sinker and he has the off-speed pitch too I think Lynn has an off-speed pitch I never see it so I just assume he doesn't it's rare but I, I think he's a good comp for him I was trying to think of another like sinker baller and the guy that popped into my head and I think Gant's better than him as a starter Jake Westbrook, that's the guy that immediately popped to my head, a guy that was with the Cardinals for a year or two, good sinker ball pitcher and could get ground balls when he needed to. With Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Alex Ferrario's out today, is a little under the weather. He's hoping to be back in tomorrow. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get to some questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. But coming up next, let's talk to our Cardinals insider for The Athletic. She is Katie Wu. There was some news on Jack Flaherty yesterday, and it was not the good kind of news. What does it mean for the Cardinals, and where do they look now, both internally and externally? to be able to fill that spot in the rotation. Katie Wu tells us next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. With Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie Alex Ferrario out today sick. He should be back tomorrow. Very happy to go out to the Browning Group and Celebrity Line right now, though, to be joined by the Cardinals insider for The Athletic. She is Katie Wu. You can give her a follow on Twitter at Katie J. Wu. Katie, we appreciate the time as always. How are you doing this morning? Hey, BK, you know, I, I did almost cry a little bit when I heard Tanner say 8-10 start time. I've had enough. <laughs> I've had enough of these games. I'm ready for 7-15 games, normalcy. Um, so one more, we can get through it. Congratulations, you're officially St. Louisan. <laughs> after yeah, after hearing you. that, you have, you have officially moved from the West Coast, and you are now one of us. I thought that, like, being in, uh, like, central time was cool because you could get home from work and because I'm a strange, very strange woman, would come home and be able to watch more baseball after I watched baseball all day. Um, but turns out it's only cool when you're, you don't have to work it. So it has been a struggle right. the last week, but it's all right. Well, we look forward to watching the game tonight, the rubber match between the Dodgers and the Cardinals. Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to watch Jack Flaherty anytime in the near future. And Katie, you were covering this news yesterday. People can find all of your reporting over on Twitter at Katie J. Wu and then on The Athletic as well. What can you tell us about the latest with Jack Flaherty? How long should we expect him to be out with this uh, this oblique issue? So we'll, we'll do the bad news first, and then I'll, I'll try to, to cheer you guys up as much as I can, as much as this news will allow. Jack is going to miss some significant time. I believe the actual injury name is a grade two oblique strain. That timeline is usually about eight weeks. That puts him coming back, you know, barring any setbacks. Hopefully he can come back on time. Around the same time as Miles Michaelis is due back in early August. 
So they're, the team is optimistic that they're both going to pitch again. Now, obliques are notoriously tricky. We know that. Side injuries are very hard to predict. So they're going to exercise an abundance of caution with Jack here. But right now, the time frame is eight weeks-ish. Hopefully, around early August, they won't get one, but both back. But the timing is, is tricky here, too, because as we can look at the calendar and see, that coincides exactly with the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. So right now, the Cardinals are in a really tough spot because the impact trades are made around the deadline, around July 31st. And that's around the same time they're going to get two of their hopeful, hopefully get two of their better starters back. So they're kind of in a bind here because there isn't really a lot happening where they can go trade in, in early June. And I doubt they've even explored the free agent market because this news is, is so, so sudden. Um, and even if they did explore the, uh, free, the free agent market, it would take three to four weeks. First, you have to identify a guy. You have to do all the negotiations. It takes them a while to get ramped up. That's three to four weeks, and that puts them right around where everything starts to go crazy for the deadline. So the timing here is the trickiest part for all these different components. Okay, so let's start with the obvious. Who are the internal candidates to take that spot then? If you're not going to go the free agency route, who do you think internally could be up for that discussion? I think there's only really one viable option, and that is Oviedo. And I know that his recent performances don't give any Cardinals fans kind of any comfort there. Um, but, you know, he's very young, and it is incredibly hard to learn in the big leagues. So the hope here is that if he has a consistent start, consistent spot in this rotation, he's pitching every five to six days, he's not shuttling back and forth between St. Louis and Memphis, that that will kind of give him some some comfort right so he's comfortable here um but then again he has to throw strikes so that's going to be their first option is kind of see what can we do with oviedo with a consistent amount of time now that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to start all the time he could maybe the cardinals implement a, uh, an opener you know daniel ponce de leon would seem a very, like a viable candidate for that and then maybe oviedo takes over like we saw them accidentally do in that first homestand of the series in april when Ponce couldn't really get out of the second inning, Oviedo came in and pitched four scoreless innings of relief, his, it's not, and it's not even close, his best performance of the season so far. So there's flexibility with what they can do with Oviedo there. If Oviedo doesn't have it, though, that's where the options get really, really thin, and that's where it gets very concerning. So at that point, do you go with, like, Woodford, Ponce, Oviedo, kind of stacking all of those three up? Is that the next, next option? I mean, that would make sense. That's another option they can do. I know Mike Schilt floated that around a little bit yesterday. Um, they're going to have to get creative regardless of what they do. They just, you know, for as good as Carlos Martinez has been and Wainwright's been fantastic at home and, and John Gann is, you know, being John Gann and, and doing what he does and giving them a consistent fit start every day, that's about as much as they can ask in their rotation. It's who can fill in from the bullpen and how can they finagle their roster right now to get them through the next eight weeks when, you know, presumably they're going to make a move at the deadline. There's, I, I don't think there's a way that the Cardinals do not. You know, I was speaking to a couple members in the front office who said, you know, we, this kind of changes things where it's no longer we approach the deadline and we look for maybe bolstering the bullpen. Now we need to kind of evaluate the starting rotation and the bullpen can figure itself out from there. So there's a lot of moving parts here. And June will play a huge role in figuring out what direction and how much in that direction the Cardinals need to go by the deadline. We're talking to Katie Wu, Cardinals insider for The Athletic. That's interesting what you just mentioned about your conversations with somebody from the front office. 
I guess the question that I would have is, do you do you show more urgency for that need? Because the deadline, I mean, we, we all know who the name is out there that all Cardinals fans are looking at, and it's Max Scherzer, <laughs> but he's probably not available right now. We we know what the history is with the Nationals, and they don't do deals early. They, they prefer not to do nope. deals at all. Um, so if you're looking for help right now, is that something you think the Cardinals would be interested in is, is making a deal before the deadline, maybe in, in the next week or so? I think that's, that's pretty early. And I think they'd like to give Oviedo a little bit more of a sample size, more than one, one start. I think at least two would be in the cards for him. Um, but if he continues to show the same trends as he did in May, then that's kind of forcing their hand. And, you know, I'm not quite sure what's going on at the AAA level. It's, you know, it doesn't really seem like there's a lot. Oviedo would be the, the number one guy to come up there from anyway. So I'm not sure. You know, the, the Nationals certainly look to be like sellers this year. They they do not look good. But you make a great point, BK, in that they don't usually like to sell. Um, and they're not going to unless their hand is being forced by the deadline and they realize they can get something really good for Scherzer. But that's going to be a judgment call right around the end of July. And I just don't think the Cardinals can wait that long. Again, the timing here is, you know, injuries aside, that's, that's the most horrible part is that Jack Flaherty, who's one of the most exciting pitchers in baseball, 25 years old, just great for the sport, great in what he exemplifies, what he believes in. Just a really cool, fun guy to watch is out. That's the worst part. Now, when you come from a team component, it's figuring out the timing of when can we fill these voids in our roster based on all these different components that are happening throughout the season. June is a really tough month to do that. Can I give you one potential silver lining to this, Katie? Um, I I was thinking about this a little earlier because I'm with you. The timing on this stinks. I mean, there's no there's no real way around it, because if you were a little closer to the all star break, maybe then you're able to kind of refresh, take a clean look at where everybody's at and and you, you have some time there. But you're a ways away even from that. But at the end of this month, the Cardinals have two games against Detroit and then four games against Pittsburgh, and then three against Arizona, and four more against Colorado. And that starts uh, that stretch starts on June 22nd, and it ends on the 4th of July. Is it possible that if the Cardinals can just find a way to make it through the next basically 18 days prior to then, that's a little bit of a sense of a reprieve, and they're able to kind of make it through the All-Star break because of that? That's a great point. I'm looking at my little magnet schedule right now. And just because I, I never know what day it is. Like I thought today was Thursday, but it, their June strength of schedule wise is like you mentioned pretty, it works in their favor a lot. Now this is, of course you can't go over there and ex- expect to roll over all these teams, but I think the Cardinals have enough depth and we saw it versus Arizona to go out and take the series, you know, and they have Miami for three days in June too. So that's encouraging. Um, you know, the end of July, that's a little tougher. They have Giants, Cubs twice. Um, so that will kind of hopefully they'll have a little bit more clarity on where Miles and Jack are. If they can get one back by early August, that's a huge win. Um, hopefully both. But it, it's like you're going to have to grind through a really tough part of the season right now in June. And then potentially everything aligns in July if the Cardinals make a trade and then they can get Jack and Miles back. In August, August and September are huge months as we see in this division that is literally a mess already in June. There's still no clear front runner. That will be huge for them. So again, like you said, BK, the timing is horrendous, but there is a silver lining in that the strength of schedule is not 
necessarily hard right now. So they just have to figure out a way to win these very winnable games with the players that they have. I guess my next follow-up question, we're talking to Katie Wu for another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. I guess this is more philosophical. Um, If you're a Cardinals front office executive, I'm going to ask you to put your Mo Bowtie on here for a second. All right, Katie? Um, If you were in John Mosellock's shoes, is this a team worth going out there and and selling the farm for Max Scherzer? Based on what you've seen thus far, is that a move that is worth making for this specific team? You know, I think the Cardinals, when they are healthy, we saw them. They they were healthy for that first 17 consecutive game stretch they had. They won 13 of 17, best in the majors record at that time. When they're healthy, they're fantastic. So I think it depends on who they're willing to give up. Um, I imagine if you're going to go after Scherzer, that's at least one top prospect, if not two, if not a couple more. But when you have an, a defense that is absolutely stellar, the bullpen I know has been inconsistent, but I think what they need is just one more guy to kind of bridge that gap. And, you know, everyone's saying John Gant because he's been so well and he's been able to get out of all this traffic, but Kim could also fill that role too. I think yes, because we've seen how important the starting rotation is. They're a catalyst to this team's success. When they go deep in the ball games, the Cardinals have a winning bullpen. They have a stellar offense. They have Nolan Arenado, who they need to keep around. Hmm. Uh, so I think any opportunity that you have for Scherzer is something that you put on the table. And, you, you, you know, it's always hard to part with prospects. I know the Cardinals have gotten rid of a couple guys that have turned out to be stars. But that's the risk you take if Max Scherzer is on the table. Final question that I've got for you, and it's a two-parter based on the two stars from last night's game. Um, Can you believe what we're watching from John Gant still? And secondarily, you got to come in with fresh eyes for Tyler O'Neill. So you've just got to see the good part of of his career. What's it been like for you to be able to watch this guy every day perform? John Gant just, you know, I, I, it's almost comical because you know exactly what you're going to get. You're going to get five to six innings of maybe one run ball, maybe less like yesterday. He's going to have a, a couple of walks, maybe a little bit more. He'll give up a couple hits, and then he'll get out of it. And he gets out of it in the, the most ridiculous ways with stellar defensive plays from Tommy Edmond and Dylan Carlson with inducing the double play ball. And he's just rolls with it. And after his postgame pressers really cracked me up because he's always like, yeah, I just – you know, I'm just trying to throw strikes. You know what I'm saying? Like, I love watching our defense. Like, just so chill. So that's been really fun to watch. And it's, I think, very encouraging to have us. Not many teams have a fifth starter that is dependable. So I think that's one thing Cardinals fans can take comfort in is you usually know exactly what you're going to get from a John Gant start. And now you know that you're also going to get a, apparently a home run a night from Tyler O'Neill. Um, what a absolutely just fantastic turn of events for him. You know, I was aware of the narratives last year. I didn't see them with my own eyes. So like you said, I came in there with a fresh perspective and I, it's hard to judge any performance off a 60 game season or in the Cardinals case, a 58 game season. So I'm really encouraged from Tyler. I mean, he can do it all. He essentially won the game in every aspect yesterday. And there is no kind of hesitation in me that I, you know, obviously the home run and I think isn't realistic to keep up, but I do believe that, his offensive turnaround is for real. And you combine that with his obvious defensive skill and your that outfield. Once you get Bader back, it's hardly a concern anymore. 13 extra base hits in his last 20 games. Not a, not a bad way to go about things, Katie, to say the least. Uh, she's oh, Katie. No, Wu. You can find her work over at the athletic. She's been doing fantastic work for them. Also give her a follow on Twitter at Katie J. Wu. Katie, we always appreciate the time. Thank you so much for hopping on with us today and enjoy the, the late night game, the finale of this series out in L.A. tonight. 
Enjoy is a stretch, um, but yes, I will. Thank you, guys. Find a way to make it through. We live to survive another day. She's Katie Wu. Find her work over at The Athletic. Follow her on Twitter, at Katie J. Wu. Tanner, she said something there about the midpoint of that interview about if the Cardinals can just get healthy, this is a team that can be as good as anybody. It reminds me of a previous Cardinals team. We'll talk about that coming up next. Plus, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Questions and answers on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Here in just about 10 minutes or so, Tyler O'Neill has had a breakout in his last 20 games. Are you buying into this? How far are you willing to go with this? We'll hear your Rhino Shield mic drops coming up here in just about 10 minutes or so. But right now, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. And Tanner told me during the break, BK, I've got a question for you, but I would like to save it until questions and answers. What do you have for us? All right, so we've been talking about what are, we, what are the Cardinals going to do pitching with Flaherty out. you got mm-hmm. Michaelis out. We look at it now, we figure your rotation is going to be something along the lines of Wayno Martinez, Kim Gant, and Oviedo. That sixth starter could be a question mark. You know me, old school, 80-year-old Tanner. Do you, if you're the Cardinals, and I, with the injury, it probably adds into this effect too with Flaherty getting hurt. Do you consider just sticking with a five-man rotation for this stretch? That way you don't have to struggle with finding a sixth man. You already have some fears of your fifth man in Oviedo. So the schedule helps out in this respect. So you got um, two off days coming up. You've got an off day on Monday. Next Monday is an off day for the team. You also have an off day next Thursday. So you don't have to go to, at the very minimum, until next Friday, starting then. That would be when you potentially start talking about a six-man rotation again, and then you have about 10 days until your next day off. So I think they would absolutely consider have to consider going to a five-man rotation. And now. I think you'd do it now just because the schedule's tough. When you get to that stretch and Flaherty's still out, which it sounds like he might be, and Michaelis we know will be, where you get Detroit, Pittsburgh, Arizona, Colorado, then maybe you go to the six-man because when you bring in that sixth starter, whether it's a Woodford or uh, whatever combo you're going to do or bring someone up from the minors, then it's a team that's not very good and you have a little bit more faith compared to now where you're playing some really good teams in the Reds, Cleveland, the Cubs, Miami, Atlanta. This also allows you two weeks to be able to figure out what your rotation looks like. Yeah. If the Cardinals are going to make a move, I think Katie's right. I think the move will come by around the end of this month. I don't think you're going to see anything from the Cardinals in the near future. I think it's going to take two to three weeks before they decide to do anything. I think they want to see what Oviedo looks like first, getting that opportunity. So I'm with you. I think they go to a five-man rotation. I think they continue doing that through the Brave series, which ends on June 20th. So the next 18 days or so, I think you see a five-man rotation. And I thought Katie had a good point. I think she said it yesterday of talking about with Oviedo you know he's kind of been up and down he even though he has been that sixth starter he hasn't gotten into a team because what they do is they option him and then he kind of just sticks around and and then he gets brought back up and he makes these spot starts I, I think if he gets more opportunities of just getting consistent starts and he knows I'm going out there every I don't know fourth or fifth day then I think we're going to see a better Oviedo. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line from the 417. Guys, do you think that the Cardinals would consider going after Danny Duffy from Kansas City? The Royals might be sellers and see he seems to keep improving throughout his career. So there's one issue with this. Danny Duffy is hurt right now. Oh, son of a... He has a flexor tendon strain. That's not bad, right? Which may sound familiar. <laughs> Because this was the issue that we have seen over the last 18 months now from Miles Michaelis. All right, I'm out on Duffy. 
I would go ahead and wait until he is 100% healthy to make any sort of a move like that. So I would I would say for the here and now, Duffy is more likely to be a move at the deadline than he is over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. If he comes back and shows he's fine, he can make it through, he's going to be somebody that teams are interested in, maybe at the deadline, but not right now. I'm with you. I think you'd wait to the deadline, and he is an interesting name to keep an eye on because he has been really good for the Royals this year. I just think the Cardinals would look at that and say, look, we've already had one flexor tendon issue. Sure, he's come back, he's healthy, but I don't know if we want to risk him getting injured. We'll take our chances elsewhere. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line for questions and answers. Guys, what? Do you, how would you prioritize these needs for the Cardinals? A bench bat, a potential starter, or somebody in the bullpen? How would you prioritize those three things? Bench bat, starter, bullpen arm. How would you rank those one, two, three? I think for me, starters now clearly number one. And then I still think the bullpen's number two. And then the third one for me will be the bench bat. And the reason it's number three for me, because the bench is not very good. But we have seen some positive signs from Justin Williams when he comes off the bench. He had a towering home run off of Trevor Bauer the other day. And when you get DeYoung back and he's healthy, either DeYoung is going to be a bench bat or Sosa is going to be a bench bat. And seeing the way that Sosa's played offensively, I'm okay if he was on the bench to come off in like the eighth inning as a pinch hitter. I think I agree with your ranking of them. And man, if the Nationals would just decide to sell at the deadline, the Cardinals could get some combination of Max Scherzer, he's the starting point, and then Brad Hand or Daniel Hudson as relief options for them. Either one of those two would be a huge boost for this team coming out of the bullpen. And they're both impending free agents after the season, so it makes sense for the Nationals to decide to go that route. But the Nationals are just... I'm not even sure they're going to trade Max Scherzer. I think they should. I think it's silly if they don't. I don't think baseball-wise it makes a whole lot of sense for them, but they have a history of holding on to their stars longer than they probably should. This team is not going to be competing for anything meaningful, and Max Scherzer is probably going to leave in the offseason. And if that is the way that they look at it, they should trade him. But I'm not positive that they will. I would say it's 50-50 right now. I'm a, I'm with you there. I think they should move on from him. I wonder if they try to pull what the who was it? The Yankees did. Or we'll trade you somewhere, and then let's talk Chapman. in the offseason. Chapman, that's who it was. Yeah, that's what I can see them doing. I You mentioned getting maybe a combo of Scherzer's the starting point and then getting one of those relievers. I feel like Moe's going to do something where it's going to be a 2011 trade-esque. Maybe it's not where he goes and gets like three bullpen arms in one trade, but I think it is going to be one of those where, hey, we're going to go get a starter who's either a ace or a really good number two, and we're going to throw in a bullpen arm and we'll part with some prospects too. If the Cardinals can bide their time over the next really six weeks or so, that's probably what they're going to need to do. They can... That would be the ideal scenario because then you can go make that big move for a number two starter. If they struggle, if their starters can't get, they have to add somebody immediately. I don't know that this is going to be a team that then goes and also acquires a Max Scherzer. I think it kind of might be for the rotation one or the other, because eventually you're you're likely to get Jack Flaherty back. The team seems confident that they're going to get Miles um, Michaelis back, even if I'm not. And so they would probably view it at the deadline as we're also going to get Miles Michaelis. Who are we bumping to the bullpen at that point if we go out and acquire somebody else? And what is the cost of acquiring that guy versus having a healthy Miles Michaelis in our rotation? I think it might be one or the other. And then if they decide to go the innings eater route now, 
then maybe you get the bullpen arms that you're talking about at the deadline. Yeah, I think I'm with you because that I'm with you. It just doesn't seem like it's going to be cost effective for the Cardinals to go get an innings eater and then go get an ace and give all that up for a rotation and the guys that you would have to bump back to the bullpen. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll play a game of more likely to happen. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. You give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one is more likely. Coming up next, though, Tyler O'Neill's having a legitimate breakout right now. His last 20 games, he's been one of the most productive hitters in all of baseball. Are you buying in? We'll hear from you guys on the Rhino Shield mic drop feature. We'll give you our thoughts on Tyler O'Neill's breakout coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. With Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Tyler O'Neill has been incredible over the last 20 games for the Cardinals. This is basically going back to the start of May. He's batting 305 in that stretch. He has six doubles, seven homers, and three stolen bases. If if you wanted to project that out over the course of 162, it would be 50 doubles, 55 homers, and 25 stolen bases. It's not bad. It's a pretty good stretch if you're looking at Tyler O'Neill. Can he sustain that? Absolutely not. Nobody would expect him to. But we are watching what the Cardinals have been selling us on Tyler O'Neill for years. So I'm curious for our audience. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. The Rhino Shield mic drop feature is on the 101 ESPN app. Are you buying what we're seeing right now? Because I'm hesitantly jumping in. I did this early last season where we watched some of the peripheral numbers, if you will, with the strikeouts going down, the walk rate going up, but then the power disappeared. So I jumped in at the exact wrong time. This year, this is the player that he should profile to be. He's stealing bases. He's taking the extra bases going from first to third, and he's hitting for a ton of power. So we'll hear from you guys via the Rhino Shield mic drop feature. Let's start out with Lisa. Hey, guys, what I appreciate, what I think the rest of us as Cardinal fans should appreciate you can tell that Tyler O'Neill wants to be good. You can tell he's frustrated when he doesn't produce. I don't know, but the more he plays, and I hope this isn't a flash in the pan, because he is flat out fun to watch right now. Go, Tyler. I mean, you saw it last night at the end of the game, right? You saw his emotion. He, his veins were popping out of his neck. I thought his shirt was going to explode <laughs> off. The dude literally looked like the Hulk out there after he made that catch, as he should have. I like the fact that this Cardinals team wears its emotions on its sleeve. And I think some of that is certainly Yachty. Yachty has been that way since the moment that he got up to the big leagues. But Nolan Arenado is part of that as well. And we've seen it from him. You've seen it this year. Dylan Carlson, after his catch, whenever he makes a big play in the outfield, he'll come up. You'll see a little bit of emotion from him. You see it from Harrison Bader. They have some emotional players. And I like that. I like the fact that they also have Paul Goldschmidt, who just kind of goes about his business, does his thing, sets the bat down after he hits a homer. He's like your vanilla ice cream, very plain. Yeah, I, I like the fact that they seem to have a good mix of personalities on this team, and Tyler O'Neill's a big part of that. Yeah, I'm with you. The, the personalities, because it, the season is long and it can get kind of dull at certain moments. And even though right now we feel like you're playing for a playoff race, and we know you are in the NL Central, that's kind of just stinks. It's good to see this team out there showing the emotion, as you said, because in a long season, things can just kind of slow down, and you can just get kind of, I don't want to say bored, but you can get kind of, it, the game can get kind of dull. Seeing them showing the emotion, last night it felt like we were in the playoffs 
it was June 1st. I mean, I love seeing that from this team, and I think good teams are able to do that throughout a season and carry that emotion from the regular season and then amp it up into the playoffs. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Also, the Rhino Shield mic drop feature is on the 101 ESPN app. Let's hear from Matt on whether or not he's buying what Tyler O'Neill's doing. Hey, good morning, guys. I am buying into the Tyler O'Neill experience. I am all in, as a matter of fact. And I really think with O'Neill's production and Carlson's production, along with Carlson's ability to play center field, it kind of makes Harrison Bader expendable. This lineup needs one more consistent bat. You have pop. Uh, but you need a, a consistent on-base guy that is going to hit line drives, and you can find that in right field easier than anywhere else. That's interesting because I would actually disagree with the assessment of where they need that bat, but agree with his overall idea. Having those two guys in the corners right now, and I, I would put Dylan Carlson back into right field whenever Harrison Bader is healthy, I think actually makes Harrison Bader even more valuable because now – you don't have to worry as much about who's batting eighth in your lineup. If you've got one guy that's in there exclusively for his defense, you can get away with that in today's game. You can't have two or three of those guys now with the way that the Padres and the Dodgers are playing and how, how lethal they are offensively. The guy that I think it could make potentially not all the way there yet, but potentially expendable is Paul DeYoung. Yeah. You've now seen Tyler O'Neill become the player that Paul DeYoung is if DeYoung struggles defensively continue whenever he returns and is healthy, and if he doesn't start producing more at the plate other than just the power potential that we've seen from him, that's the guy that you could see them try to upgrade in the offseason. I don't know if they'll be able to, especially given his contract and how team-friendly it is, but if there's a spot that they could upgrade and look for a little bit more offensive production in a different way, more line drives, more singles, more on base percentage, the place where they can look for that is actually shortstop, not center field, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm with you. With the way that O'Neill and Carlson are playing, to me, Bader, and I've said this all along, when your lineup becomes deeper, as we've seen right now, where you feel pretty confident in your one through six looking at this lineup when it's completely healthy, then to me, Bader is the perfect eight hole hitter because he's not gonna get he's not gonna get on base a lot via singles and all that. His average is gonna remain pretty low in my opinion. But he's he seems like he's made the adjustment to be smart enough to realize I've got the pitcher behind me, so I'm gonna take my walks when I'm giving them. And then of course you've got his speed on base for when the pitcher comes up. I'm with you. The spot to look at is definitely shortstop because last night in that game with Sosa at the play, and I'm not saying Sosa is the long term solution going forward, but he squares the bunt and he fails. And then with two strikes, he's able to hit the ball in the left field, which scores Tyler O'Neill. I'm sorry, but I don't have confidence in Paul DeYoung bringing in that run because he's so home run strikeout. He's the true three outcome player right now in Major League Baseball. I saw somebody, I think it was MLB Network that did this yesterday. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it was MLB Now with Brian Kinney. They broke down the Chicago White Sox lineup. And the way that they are having so much success of late is that they've They've got a lineup that's completely diversified. They've got guys that do a little bit of everything. Tim Anderson is a guy that hits for average and a little bit of power. You've got Yasmani Grandal, who's not hitting for average at all this year, but he's walking at the highest rate in the sport. Uh, Moncada is hitting for a, a good amount of power and also average. Jose Abreu, we know, always hits for a ton of power. Mercedes has been a revelation this year. They've got a number of different guys, basically from top to bottom in their order, that go about it in different ways, but have success and are above league average as hitters because of that. And that's one thing that the Cardinals have done a really good job of so far this year. You look at Tommy Edmond. He goes about his 
business at the plate a lot differently than what you see from Paul DeYoung, or excuse me, from Paul Goldschmidt or Nolan Arenado. Same thing for Dylan Carlson. Now you're seeing Harrison Bate, or excuse me, Tyler O'Neill adding his name to the mix, and Yadier Molina is also a little bit different than those guys. Paul DeYoung is redundant in his talent and what he brings to the plate. The redundancy is there with Tyler O'Neill. This is not to bash Paul DeYoung. It's I, I hope it doesn't sound that way. It's just to suggest that he was once a guy who had a very specific skill set that the Cardinals were missing. They didn't have that from elsewhere in their lineup. Now that they do, what does that mean for Paul DeYoung's future? Maybe he could just be a fine seven-hole hitter, but I do think there is a case to be made they might need some other types of qualities coming from their shortstop moving forward. I, I think it comes down to how deep do you view you want your lineup to be? In my opinion, one through six, if you feel really confident in that in your and lineup. And I do right now. And I do too. Then to me, you have the perfect lineup. That seventh and eighth guy don't necessarily have to be great hitters. So that's why I look at Paul DeYoung and he might be a perfect seventh guy in your lineup. He's not going to hit for average. He's going to strike out a lot, but he's got that power. He can hit you 20 to 30 home runs, and he's a seven-hole hitter. And then, of course, with Bader in that eight spot, to me, a guy that can play really good defense, I don't really care if he hits the ball. That's the way I view it. If you view it as if we need one through seven to be really good, then Paul DeYoung does become expendable, in my opinion. With Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Alex will be back in tomorrow. He's on the mend today. Coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We'll play a game of more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one's more likely. Coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. And I'm Brandon Kylie, Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues, joining us coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. Right now, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Let's play a game of more likely to happen. Let's start with this one, Tanner. More likely to happen. Tyler O'Neill finishes the year with at least 30 homers, or the Cardinals pitching staff walks in 25 runs this year. They're at 15 so far, so they would need 10 more the rest of the season. 25 That's plus. Pitiful. Runs walked in this year with the bases loaded or 30 plus homers for Tyler O'Neill. This is going to sound bad because I feel like this is kind of Tyler O'Neill, by the way, has so far this year, 12 home runs on the season in 35 games. It's unbelievable. That's really good. I I think I'm going to go with the pitching. The pitching seems to be a problem. The bullpen, the bullpen comes in with guys on base and then they struggle with command. And you said, what, 25 there, 15? Damn, that'd be a lot. Ten more. Mm-hmm. I think that's the more franchise likely. record coming into this season was 17. Well, they're definitely going to pass that. I think I, I think it's more likely the pitching will walk in 10 runs. I do love Tyler O'Neill's power, but he's going to go on spells where he goes really cold still. I believe I don't think he's going to. Well, there's no way he's going to perform like this all year long. So it would only be 18 more home runs, though, over the next 105 games. Yeah. I still going to stick with the pitching. The pitching's, you know me, I'm very concerned about the pitching staff. So I'll go with the pitching. I'm going to go ahead and show a little bit of faith. I'm going to say it's Tyler O'Neill finishes the year with 30 plus home runs. This Cardinals team has some real power and it's kind of wild to look at right now. We're, We're basically a third of the way through the season. Dylan Carlson's on pace for 15 home runs. Paul Goldschmidt on pace for 20. Paul DeYoung 20, although we'll see because of the number of game played. Yadier Molina's on pace for 20 home runs. 
Nolan Arenado, 33. Tyler O'Neill, 35, despite only playing 35 games so far this year. This is kind of what we were hoping for before the season. As many things that have gone wrong for the Cardinals this year, the one thing we predicted that has gone according to plan is the power surge that they have experienced so far this year. And Tyler O'Neill is certainly a big part of that. Yeah, this is what I said was going to be key heading into the season because I can, I had the numbers. I don't know what I did with them, but it was something like five of the last six World Series champions have been top five in slugging. And I think on or slugging in OPS, I think we're top five. And those are the last five teams to win a World Series. If we can get to that area, I have faith in. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for more likely to happen. More likely to happen from the 314. The Blues sign Gabriel Landeskog or... They trade for Jack Eichel. They sign Landeskog in free agency or they trade for Jack Eichel. Which one's more likely? I think sign Landeskog. I I just, the Eichel trade feels like it's going to be really hard. I don't think Army wants to part with uh, assets to go make that move. And he makes 10 10 million, if I'm not mistaken. Landeskog, you can probably get for what? Six and a half, seven, somewhere in that range, if I had to guess. Based on our conversation that we had yesterday with Brian Lawton, the former NHL agent player and general manager, it sounds like that's going to be a very crowded market. So I would I would set my expectations high and hope that it falls lower. I would say probably expect eight and hope that it falls below that. Yeah, e- even then, I still think Landeskog signing would make more sense or not make more sense, but more likely to happen just because I don't know if Army would part with assets to go trade for Eichel, and I don't know if Buffalo's going to pick up the phone either. Yeah, I think I'm with you. Landeskog just makes so much sense for this team. I don't know if he's going to hit free agency or not. My guess would be the most plan more likely to happen. It's more likely than not that the Colorado Avalanche will re-sign Gabriel Landeskog. I think that is the most likely outcome for him. I do not think it is completely without out of the realm of possibility, though, that he hits free agency. And if he does, the Blues are going to be super attractive to him because he basically would then have a line not quite to the same degree as to what he's on right now with the abs. But that line of Landeskog, O'Reilly and Perron could be absolutely lethal. And they all play a similar style. Landeskog fits in with them very well. I don't know if he wants to be a captain wherever he's going next. If he ends up leaving elsewhere, he would not get that opportunity here, certainly. And if that's important, okay, maybe there's other options that would be a better spot for him. But if he's okay with, he probably wear the A here. If he's okay with that, man, it, it makes so much sense. He fits everything they need. You know what this kind of reminds me of? It kind of reminds me of when Stamkos hit free agency. Stamkos was that kind of that hot ticket mark or hot ticket on the market. He was a free agent. He sat around a little bit, took some offers from teams, and then ultimately decided to go back to Tampa Bay. That's kind of how I see this playing out. He'll probably listen to offers, go back to Colorado. The question is, can you pry him away from Colorado? The only thing that makes me wonder about that is what happened here last year with Petro, because I thought that was going to go the same way as well. I just assumed, okay, he's going to take his offers elsewhere. He's going to find out what his market value is, and then Army will match whatever the best offer is, or at least get close enough to where hometown discount, whatnot, he ends up staying. It didn't work out that way, but he makes a ton of sense here in St. Louis, if possible. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for more likely to happen. More likely that Max Scherzer ends up on the Cardinals or Tanner finds the fountain of youth, reverts back to age 21 and takes a hard look at his terrible takes and decides to root for the universal universal DH. Okay. More likely Scherzer ends up on the Cardinals or you root for the universal DH, Tanner. Oh, it's definitely going to be that Scherzer ends up on the Cardinals. There's no way in hell I want to see a DH no matter what, no matter what fountain of youth I hit. 
I just like watching pitchers hit, and I love the strategy. Even strategy after watching involved. Jack Flaherty, Flaherty get hurt. did not get hurt on his swing. Now it didn't help, I will say, <laughs> but let's not forget. I don't know if it was Schilt or it was Bo, but someone said that he started feeling it before his at-bat. So let's not jump on pitchers hitting was what caused that injury. Didn't help it, but it didn't cause it. I just enjoy the strategy watching the guys. I know the bunt, what a boring play, but there's so much involved in doing so. And you have to double switch and all that. So more likely Scherzer will be a Cardinal. Than I'm I so done watching the pitchers hit. I am so done watching it. There are a few that are really enjoyable. Jack Flaherty was one. Uh He's not bad. I actually preferred two other Cardinal starters. KK at the plate is really fun. KK's awesome. Johan Oviedo at the plate looks like a guy that that's what he does for a living. Um, so there are very few, but some pitchers that are a true joy to watch at the plate. Plus, aren't you gonna miss next year that moment where we go, "Holy cows!" Like the bottom of the fifth, it was one nothing, and Zach Drinky hit a two-run shot. I know that's a bad example because he's in the yes, but league. it happens so rarely. That's what makes it awesome. No, that I I don't need to see it. I don't need to see it anymore. I understand that it is the traditional way of playing the game. There are so many things that have changed in baseball over the last 50 years, much less the last 100 years that, yeah, I'm okay with go ahead and changing this as well. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Last more likely to happen before we get to Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues here in about five minutes or so. More likely that the Blues acquire help on the offensive side of things. So they're forwards via trade or free agency you think they will do so via trade or free agency tanner that's a good one i i I just don't know the trade that you make it's probably a hockey trade but the guy that makes the most sense for hockey trade in my opinion is vladdy and i just don't know if he will allow that because he's got the no trade clause so i'll say it's via free agency i'm not quite sure who you go get landis gogs a one that we've talked about a lot of late but I, I think Army goes in free agency rather than trading for an offensive player. I think so, too. There are a few guys that just, I mean, you look over to the abs. Landis Gog is an option. He's kind of at the top of the board, right? If you were setting, you know how the draft board is like a, a vertical board, right? Of here is player one through 100 or whatever. The Blues are going to have something similar to that for free agency where they rank all of their options and they'll probably put some trade targets on there as well. Hey, where does Jack Eichel fit on this board? And you take into account what you're giving up in a trade versus what you would just have to pay in free agency. Landis would be at the top of that list for the Blues. I think Brandon Saad still makes a ton of sense for this team as a left winger that could come in as a second line left winger. They just they need a top line left winger. And I don't know where they're going to find that, if not Landis Gog on the free agent market. So that's where the trade could potentially come. And in. in a trade, are you going to be willing to part with a possible Thomas or Cairo? I don't think Cairo or even a Perunovic, too. So some of your younger guys, would you be willing to part with them? Was Thomas someone that you've already given up on, even though he's my if age, there, at 21? If there's a great player out there that's available. Based on what we've seen the last couple of years, I, I would have to consider that. But. I'm not giving up Robert Thomas just to give him up. I'm not like throwing him out there and saying, hey, what can we get for this guy? If he is what it costs for me to go get an elite level player that can potentially keep this window open for the Blues. He's not untouchable. I'll put it that way. And that's the way that I would look at it for the Blues. I do think it's more likely that they improve, though, via free agency than trade, even if it is hard to find that top line left winger. Hey, a little bit of news to pass along from college basketball. It's been announced from Jeff Goodman of Stadium is where he's at now. 
Duke coach Mike Krzyzewski has decided to retire after this upcoming season. They're expecting an official announcement later on today. The lead candidate right now, according to Goodman, to replace Coach K is former Duke player, current Duke assistant, John Shire. That's huge news, man. So in the last year and a half, then at that point, you would have Coach K and Roy Williams, both, I mean, legends in basketball, deciding to officially retire. So the news of the day in college basketball, Duke coach Coach K has decided he is going to retire after the 2021-2022 season. You probably could have seen this coming. He has taken a number of leaves of absence over the last couple of years because of his health, and now it is official. After this upcoming season, he is going to decide to retire. So some big news in college basketball there. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we're going to dive into the junk drawer. But coming up next, Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, will weigh, on, weigh in on what we were just talking about. Who is the top candidate he would like to see come in and fill in that role as the top line left winger? Well, that's Kerbs next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Crippen Celebrity Line, happy to be joined by the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber. You can give him a follow on Twitter at Chris Kerber. Kerbs, we always appreciate the time, man. How you doing this afternoon? Doing awesome, BK. How are you? Uh, doing very well. Excited for this Avalanche versus Golden Knights game tonight. Looking forward to watching game two because game one was a complete mismatch. And I know the third period got a little weird with the nine-minute power play for Colorado, but what was your reaction whenever you saw the way that Colorado made quick work of Vegas in the first game? Uh, you know what? I, I honestly, I thought that uh, I would not expect uh, the rest of the series to look like that. I thought Colorado was well rested, well coached, and I thought Vegas having to go seven games when they didn't anticipate doing that looked tired. And uh, I think the simple reason you could see that is when you see Vegas playing Robin Leonard instead of Mark Andre Fleury. That was to rest Marc-Andre Fleury. Otherwise, there's no reason that Marc-Andre Fleury, unless he was hurt, shouldn't have been in the net. So I, I think I think Vegas was a bit of a tired group. And then, of course, things get out of hand. And, and when you give, and we saw it, when you give Colorado the power play, just get the goalie out of the way so he doesn't get hurt hmm. and drop the puck at center ice. When you... So let's say that this does end up going Colorado's way, though, Curbs. If they continue doing what they did in game one, and maybe not not to that degree, of course, does it change the way that you viewed that Blues loss to Colorado in the first round? No, I no, I, I know a lot of people look at sports that way, saying, well, we lost a team that won a championship. And I guess maybe that gives you some sources. I just, uh, unfortunately, we just, uh, with, with the injuries and then especially missing David Perron, you know, I, I just uh, we, we we were fighting with one arm tied behind our back. I think in that situation. So, no, I I, I still gave Colorado all the credit in the world for the sweep. They came out, they won, they, they won the key areas of, of the game, and and they never let up. I mean, they they and they got the kind of bounces you need to win championships. I'll go back to that play where uh, Graves comes sliding through on the wraparound by Mike Hoffman, right and and blocks it like those are those are championship style plays that when you go back and recap a series you're going to go that one kept us on top in the game that, that kind of thing um the, the schwartz goal for example uh, against winnipeg in game five with the to, to make it three to two with 15 seconds to go things like that that the blues had in 2019 colorado got in the first round and, and they've continued to go so um i don't think it changed my view of it because i just don't think the blues were a 
were loaded. I don't think the Blues were a full complement of players. And and I agree with what I mean. I think you guys had Brian Lawton on. Was it yesterday? Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with what he said. Uh, like, I, I think that when these teams are healthy, it's a lot closer than you may think. So let, let's talk about that a little bit, Curbs. We are officially in the off-season mode for the St. Louis Blues, and we've done a lot of breakdown on you know where the needs are, what Army can do, the flexibility that he has within the roster. As you now have had some time to assess what the team was this year and what they weren't, what do you think are the biggest things that Army needs to be looking at doing this off-season? What are, what are some of the positions, if you will, that, that deserve some attention? I think there's two factors, uh, two areas that I would look at. One is overall team attitude um, and characteristic of the team. I guess personality might be a, a different way to word it. And then the other one is positional. If, if I look at the personality and characteristic of the team, I, I think the team has lost some swagger, hasn't had the full swagger since they didn't re-sign Pat Maroon. Um, and, and, and to me, I think that's a factor. I think they tried to get some of that back with Kyle Clifford. And, and there's room for growth in that area. Uh, so, to me, it was and even and even though, even though they, you know, at the time that of that the pandemic was, uh, you know, that started at the time the season was shut down back in March of 2020, and the Blues were were top in, in the division. Yeah, they were rolling, but it still felt like they were missing just a little bit of that extra, extra swagger. And and maybe it would have come. Who knows? So to me, that's that's that that to me is is, is personality characteristic oriented. The, the one positionally to me I'm, I'm looking at is um, uh, I really am looking at left wing in the top two lines, whether that's Jaden Schwartz able to still fill it, um, whether it's Schwartz fill it for a year or two on, on a contract, you get him under contract to, and then you, uh, um, you know, and then he eventually slides down to the third line. Uh, but I just, I just look at this and I, and I, and I think that you didn't have a left wing all season long for Perron and, Ryan O'Reilly, and yet those two guys, Perron just over, O'Reilly just under a point per game. Uh, I, I think top six left wing is, is an absolute need because I don't necessarily see who's going to fill that from the inside, to be honest with you. I don't know who gets promoted to that spot and, and, and who takes it over. So to me, I think that's a big area. So let's start with that left wing, and then I wanted to ask you about that swagger point as well after this. Um, we've been talking so much about Gabriel Landeskog, who seems to make all the sense in the world if he ends up not ret- being retained by the Colorado Avalanche. Obviously, that's a huge if. They, they very well could just re-sign their captain. That would make all the sense in the world for them. First of all, how do you feel like he would be as a fit here in St. Louis? And if not Landeskog, Curbs, are there any other names out there that you could see, whether it be via free agency or trade, that makes sense to fill that? Yeah, I haven't jumped too deep into those lists, to be honest with you. But, look, I, I would agree with you. 28 years of age, Landis Cog with Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron probably have uh, put, put you in a great line and probably one of the most conscientious lines that you've got in, in the National Hockey League. I, I'd love to see that. Um, you know, but that said, I think people have to remember that Colorado has a good amount of cap space, you know, so from a cap standpoint, there may be no team that's better off in terms of already being good and having some cap space to manage some things, uh, over the next couple of years while this cap stays fairly flat. So I, right now I fully anticipate Colorado re-signing Landis Cog. I'd I'd be surprised if that doesn't happen. I mean, he, he's just the perfect fit. I, I don't see that as a, if he was 30, 31 years of age, you're thinking it a different, but I, I just don't, I don't necessarily see that one logically. I, I'm going to throw kind of a, a total insane thing at you. 
Like to me, to me, I don't know, you know, like, like a Matthew Kachuk in Calgary, what direction are the Calgary flames going? Right. Matthew has one more year left on a contract. Then he has to sign a one year contract before he becomes a, an unre- an unrestricted free agent, depending on how things go over the next 12 months with the Calgary flames and Matthew Kachuk, that could dictate whether or not he decides to sign an extension and stay some of his early years of free agency in Calgary, or if he explores a market, maybe comes back to the States, even back to St. Louis. So to me, something like that is uh, becomes an intriguing hockey trade caliber thing. And I know Brandon Sod's name comes, comes up. Brandon Sod, third line to, to second line, depending on how deep the team is going and, and can be effective, but I'm not, and I'm not putting Brandon Saad necessarily on, on the top line. So I would uh, – th- there's definitely some options out there, but but uh, I, I just – I don't know, Brandon. My, my gut tells me that, that, there's, that this team is ripe and prime for a hockey trade. Another – and it's not a fleecing trade. It's not, it's not we're going to give up some guys that aren't going anywhere for Ryan O'Reilly. You may have to give up somebody, you know, to, to, to get something. And, and I'll use this as an example. Like – who who your top two? Who are your centermen going to be? All right, you, you were hoping this year that Robert Thomas would step into the top six role. That didn't happen. Well, part of the reason that didn't happen is Braden Shen is that still that good as a centerman, and he's better as a centerman. So, do you have a role for Robert Thomas, or or is, is he in a perfect role right now as your third line center with O'Reilly and Shen, right? And then eventually you'll see Shen and, and Thomas kind of flip flop as you get another couple of years in the Shen's contract. So do you end up using some of your depth on, on wing to, to make a trade for that? Like, to me, putting that all together, is just we seem prime for a hockey trade. It makes all the sense in the world to me as well, Curves, timeline-wise, right? As much as I love Robert Thomas, and I think he can be a really good player in this league, he's 21 years old, and the Blues are kind of at the back end now of that five-year window that they've talked so much about. So if it would require... Uh, sending a guy that's going to be a stud in the future for somebody that is a stud in the here and now for this team on the timeline that they're on right now, it, it makes some sense to consider something like that. I think that's why no matter who it is, except for, in, in, in my opinion, except for Colton Pareko and Ryan O'Reilly and Jordan Bennington, right? I think anybody, you have to listen to any offer, any opportunity that's out there and at least see what could be going on, see what your opportunities are, because you're right. You've got to, you, you're, you want to stay in that window while you're at that core group of O'Reilly, Perron, Shen, Falk, Krug, Pareko, Bennington are in their primes, right? And, and five years from now, that's not going to be the case. Four years from now, that's not going to be the case. If there's a deal where, yes, you might be giving up somebody that's good, somebody that's going to become really good, but you're giving that person up to get somebody that you know is going to help you right now compete in the arms race of the West and stay within that window. I have no problem taking that chance now because we saw, we, we've seen how long it can take you to build to get into that window. Right? So to me, I think you have to live aggressively now and, and maybe more aggressively this year than, than you've been in the last couple. So one other question that I had for you, Curbs, we're talking to Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues here on 101 ESPN. Seth Jones was a name that yesterday we heard from Brian Lawton as well. He said, that's kind of the, if you're looking for a defenseman, he's the top guy that's going to potentially be available this off season. He's going into the final year of his deal with Columbus. He's going to be 27 years old next year. 
Does it make sense for the Blues to make a deal like that for a right-handed defenseman? Or is that a situation where if you're going to add a defenseman to this club, it needs to be on the left side and maybe for a second second defensive pairing? To me, it depends on how the coaches want to run the quarterback. You've got a right-handed shooting defenseman that's really good on the power play at Justin Falk, you know, and you've already got him under contract for the next six years. So, you know, to me, I'm not sure, like, would you, would anybody like to have Seth Jones at 27? Absolutely. Right. Are you going to give up the prospects and, and the assets you need to get him? I don't know that that's where the best move for the St. Louis blues is because I think defensively you, you're going to be just fine. I, I think, I think with Falk, with Krug, with Pareko, with Mikola, Bortuzzo, Perunovic comes in and I'm assuming maybe a Seattle takes a Vince Dunn. Otherwise you've got Vince Dunn, right? I think defensively you're you're going to be fine. Uh, I I think you if you if you're going to take your assets and do something with it, to me, I'm looking for a, a top line winger, and and that to me is the biggest hole you've got. And because I, I look, I again healthy, again healthy, I will take this Blues to, and especially Crew going into his second season, right? What we saw from Justin Falk, Perunovic is going to be a player in the National Hockey League. I really do believe that. Right, the growth of Nico Mikola put a little meat, you know, and some man strength onto him. I think the Blues are going to be just fine defensively. Final question for you, Curbs. You mentioned the swagger that the Blues have been missing basically since that 2019 run to the Cup with uh, Pat Maroon bringing that to the team. Are there any players that could be available that are available that you think makes sense to bring that back to the St. Louis Blues? Yeah, that's another one where I'd have to go through the list. I think they looked at uh, Kyle Clifford to bring some of that, and at times you saw it, at times you didn't. Uh, I, I think, you know, to to me, you want to find somebody where if if it is the gloves needing to be dropped, if it is that extra banging around, I just, you know, I, I want to rely a little bit more on Braden Shen on the offensive side of things, but I think it's just in his DNA to play that role, right, like like we saw him do. And and, and I thought he, he was terrific at it this year. I just – it doesn't have to be a top. Uh, it it doesn't have to be a top six guy, Brandon. It's just got to be a guy with a little more heart and a little more fire in the belly. Um, just when when we talk about having lost, whether it be for the season or careers, Steen, um, you know, Sunquist, guys like that. You lost guys whose compete level, Alex Petrangelo, Carl Gunnarsson. You lost guys whose compete level was at a high level. They competed at a high level. We didn't have enough guys in that middle range competing at a high enough level. So to me, that's that's the that's the personality character factor. If I'm looking at somebody, I'm I'm finding somebody to play for Craig Ruby that's that's going to compete. He's Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues. Give him a follow on Twitter at his name at Chris Kerber. Kerbs, we always enjoy these conversations, man. All the best to you as you continue to enjoy your off season. We'll talk to you soon. All right, Brandon. Have an awesome week. Thanks, Absolutely. Bud. Same to you. That is Chris Kerber joining us here on 101 ESPN. We'll get more into the Blues coming up here in just about 30 minutes or so. Coming up next, though, let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. I've got some news that broke earlier this morning for the junk drawer today that I think you are going to, of all people, of all people, I think you're going to enjoy this. This can't be good. Food sampling is officially back at Costco. 
Oh, yes. Costco is bringing back the sampling stations at 170 of its 550 locations this week. I have not been able to figure out if this includes the St. Louis locations or not. Better. I can't speak to you on that. But there is there are very few things in this world that I enjoy more than a good, like, Sunday afternoon going over right after, like, lunchtime-ish. Going through Costco. Right after the midday football games. Oh, it's the best. The absolute best. And Costco bringing them back makes me feel like, forget Bush Stadium being full. Forget the fact that we're having concerts. The Point Point Fest was announced yesterday, I believe. Like, all of this stuff's great. My real return to normalcy begins and ends with Costco bringing back their samples for me. That actually sounds kind of sad. What do you think? That sounds kind of... (laughs) You know, I know when things are open, when I can leave my house and go to Costco and get free samples. Not go to a bar, go to a ball game. I've already been able to do that stuff. That that stuff's already been in my life. The thing that's been missing for me, Tanner, is I haven't been able to go there and eat 70 different samples that I have zero interest in buying any of and that I will not buy any of. But as I'm walking by, you've got that lukewarm, partially microwaved meal. Oh yeah, yeah, I've, I've got to get all of that. You know what's funny is I've only done the Costco sampling once. Really? Because back home we don't have a Costco, we just have a Walmart and there's no free sampling. <laughs> That's you know, incredible. Small, small town. And so I went there once and I did some of the sampling. I was like, this is incredible. Why don't more places do this? It's the absolute best. By the way, Sam's Club also is uh, bringing back sampling at all 600 locations this week, too. So if you're a Sam's person instead of a Costco person, that's fine. No discrimination here. They're both bringing them back very soon. Tanner, what do you have for us today in the junk drawer, my man? So we were talking during the break heading into the junk drawer yesterday about that pool that opened up in England that we talked about not too long yeah, ago. Yeah, it, it literally just opened up, and they had everybody go in on the the, the one that you could see through the bottom. Yeah, see through. It's about yeah. 10 uh, stories uh, high, uh, connects two buildings. Mm-hmm. Well, how about this that's coming to New York? It's see-through. It's a glass elevator all the way around the elevator, and it goes up a tall building. How about that? glass elevator so you know how we have elevators where it is you can see kind of like the backside is glass and you can see looking out but it's usually like in a mall yeah this one's in new york and it's a glass elevator that goes all the way around and it goes up one of new york's tallest skyscrapers and it's a pool no it's a it's an elevator so what it is is the whole elevator's glass so normally on an elevator you got the carpet yeah no the floor is glass look in front of you glass behind you glass see, above you glass i have I have less of an issue with that than I do the pool. The pool, I'm suspended over the air. Like, there is literally nothing below me to catch You're suspended over the air here. Yeah, but it's an elevator. You fall in an elevator, it ain't going to land that softly. Understood, but that's always a concern. A typical pool is in the ground with concrete underneath it. Like, I have less concerns about me falling through the pool otherwise. This one that's in England is literally just glass suspended in the air between two buildings swaying with the wind. Nah, man, I don't need all of this that. This one looks more terrifying, so I'm looking at the photo that they're using as their, I don't know, example of what this will look like. This literally looks like these people are in In this elevator. elevator? Yeah. I'm not down for that. I can handle a pool. See, I'm the opposite. I, I don't need this in the pool. I'm good. I'll, I'll chill on the rooftop. I'm good. I don't need to be going into that pool. This elevator thing, I'm not too worried about that. With Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex Ferrario will be back hopefully tomorrow. He's feeling a little under the weather today. Coming up here in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get back into the blues. 
I actually disagree a little bit with something that Chris Kerber said about the defensive side of things for St. Louis. We'll get into that in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, the Cardinals have a clear issue in their rotation right now with Jack Flaherty going on the IL. Are there internal solutions? We'll try to find some next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Injuries are mounting for this team, and, you know, we're trying to do what we can to work through that, putting a lot of stress on our minor league system as well. So, you know, it may have to be where we have to start looking outside the organization, see if we can't get some some supplemental help here. But, you know, clearly it's 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 uh, we're, we're feeling stressed right now. The Cardinals have an issue. The issue is that their ace is on the injured list. Jack Flaherty, it was announced yesterday, has a grade two oblique strain, which means that it is a more significant variety of a strain. And by the way, anytime you hear a team say, hey, it's a strain, just translate strain for tear. That's what it is. Any strain that a, a player gets is a is some sort of a tear, and it's a de- depending on the significance of it. So Jack Flaherty has a relatively significant tear in his, his oblique muscle. Based on all of the stuff that I've been able to read, you typically expect five to six weeks being out with an oblique strain, which means Tanner mentioned this to me in the break. You're probably looking at about two months with some sort of a rehab stint for Jack Flaherty down in the minors as well. You're probably not getting him back until early August. Hope for the best. Maybe you get him back before then. But realistically speaking, you can expect Jack Flaherty back in the rotation, most likely around August 1st ish. Um, Not great. That's a problem. So that means you got to find two months of what do you do between now and then? Because that's basically right up against it with the trade deadline. And do you make a move now? Do you look internally? Let's go through this as an experiment with with you and I, Tanner. Because let's start internally. Are there options currently with the big league club that would make sense for the Cardinals? Let's kind of rule these out as we go. Johan Oviedo is going to be the first guy that gets an opportunity. They've already called him up. He's been activated. He is now on the big league roster. Johan Oviedo has not been particularly good this year or effective as a big league starter. Do you think he's a guy that can take this and run with it? I think he can. I think his stuff is good. I, the issue for him is just command. Now, will that be adjust? Will he be able to fix that in this little run he has? I don't know. My hope is that he's just going to pound the strike zone because I do like his stuff. I think he has the potential to be a really good Major League Baseball starter. I think what we've seen in the starts that we've seen him in where it's been kind of the spot start as the sixth guy is that he's not quite ready. I think he has flashes. I think he can take this and run with it and be a guy that maybe not proves he belongs in rotation long term, but can at least fill in and do an admirable job when he takes over here. The Cardinals have won one game that John Gann has, or excuse me, that uh, Johan Oviedo has started. Look, when you look at it that way. And that's over the course of two years now. I, I think that he's going to be a good player eventually, but he's 23 years old. He is very young, both in terms of his development in the minor leagues and in terms of his actual age. I'm just not sure he's ready for this. And that's not a shot against Johan Oviedo. It's just a statement of where he is right now at this point in his development. So he deserves the opportunity. And he's going to get it. And I hope I'm rooting for him that he's able to take advantage. I'm just not really expecting that to be the case. The other options internally that are currently on the big league club, 
you could go with some kind of a combination of Oviedo, Ponce de Leon, and Woodford, where you're basically going with the opener route. I don't have a whole lot of confidence in that either. We saw the Ponce de Leon starter experiment earlier this year. I like him better as a one-inning reliever guy right now for the Cardinals. I don't think that Woodford is a guy that I expect to be a whole lot more than he's been for them so far this year. Yeah, I'm with you. Woodford's a guy that could give you maybe two solid innings, and that's about it. So to me, that's not much of a starter, and you could do that opener route. But the bullpen's been really bad. I don't want to do it, and I'm with you. The Ponce experiment did not go well, so I don't really want to experiment with it again. Okay, so we've ruled out all of those. (laughs) Now we can get a little creative. What about the bullpen arms that you've got right now? We talked all spring training about, hey, could Alex Reyes be an option for the Cardinals in their starting rotation? Here's what Mike Schilt said about converting one of the bullpen guys to a starter. You know, with Alex, robbing Peter to play Paul, right? I mean, you got a guy that's clearly closed out games, an important role. So, And he's on track, by the way, to get the innings that we'd like him to get to be able to start next year. So, you know, we've rightfully declared and put Alex in the right spot for that to happen. You know, relative to Cabby, same thing. I mean, he's a guy that's helped us bring home a lot of our wins to this point. And he's not built up. You know, I think that's ultimately the answer to the question. How are we going to build, even expect to build either one of those guys up at the big league level, which means they have to go to the minor league level, and that's not the answer. Um, And the big league level doesn't make any sense because who's going to fill in the innings behind them? Okay, so you can go ahead and cross off Alex Reyes and uh, Hennessy Cabrera from your list. Now let's look at the minors because that's the next natural conclusion. You look at Thompson. What's he been doing? Oh, no, he, he's been very bad down in AAA he's so far He's only this about year. 12. It's fine. So that's not going to work out. He's probably not your best option. Okay, what about, you know, Liberatore? We've heard so much about him over the last year or so. What? what no, he, he has not been particularly good for them either. He's down with Team USA right now. He's probably not your best option to start. The only guy that I can see maybe getting an opportunity for the big league club here pretty soon is is your guy, Tanner, Tommy Parson. Oh, I definitely get a jersey if he gets the call up too. He throws strikes, which is helpful. He hasn't been great down in the minors, but he's been fine, I guess. I don't think he's your long-term answer, but if you end up in a situation where Johan Oviedo doesn't do particularly well and he struggles... I think the next logical answer would be Tommy Parsons as a starting option for you. Yeah, I'm with you. I I really do want to see Parsons get a chance. And the reason I say that is because, and I get it, spring training doesn't matter. You told me all the time in the office with your martini. But it's because when you saw him in spring training, when he first came on the scene, it was a guy that was clearly just kind of there to get some reps in and then was going to go down to the minor leagues. And that's ultimately what ended up happening. What they did with him was they brought him in in situations in spring training, let's not forget, where he had bases loaded and he'd get out of the jam. I think in spring training, he only had like one inherited runner score. He's a ground ball pitcher. And we were going to do a segment. We didn't get to it where we had our bold spring training predictions. One of mine was that Tommy Parsons would be a Seth Manus out of the bullpen, a guy that's going to get ground balls. If he can do that as a starter, again, I'm with you. He's no long-term solution. But in this this one month, two month span here, I think he could be a good sixth spot starter that could come in, give you possibly four to five innings. He seems to be a ground ball pitcher. The walks are kind of high so far. He's got 12 on the year in yeah. five games. So maybe that's an issue for him too. But 
he's a ground ball pitcher, and with this defense, I think he would fit very well here in St. Louis. I'd be interested in seeing what it looks like because as you look at the other alternatives, free agent options right now, Rick Porcello, Cole Hamels, Homer Bailey, those guys, if you signed them, they probably take a couple of weeks in the minor leagues anyways, and now you're looking at mid-June at the earliest that you would have them available. By then, there might be some other options via trade that are better for you, so I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense to go to the free agent market. If you're looking at the trade market right now, there aren't a lot of options, the ones that you would potentially like that could be available. Some of them are even on the IL. Danny Duffy's got a forearm issue. Um, you look down to Texas, and they've got a guy that you might like, but but he's also on the injured list. There's just not great options for the Cardinals right now. And so I think this is one of those things where, you know, the whole, the fast lane, be patient slogan. I think that's what you got to do as a Cardinals fan right now. You be patient. You see what Johan Oviedo looks like in the here and now. Maybe they experiment with either Tommy Parsons or maybe they give Jake Woodford a start here or there. And if this works, you stick with them. If it doesn't, then three weeks from now, four weeks from now, as you get closer to the start of July and teams start to find out more and more what they have and what they don't and why they probably should be sellers, that's when you start going to the trade market. And now you find out realistically who you can go out there and acquire. And I think that's the way that the Cardinals have to kind of maneuver here. Yeah, I'm with you. Just because there is no good external option right now. I mean, you have to figure out what you have in the system. And, and let's not forget, that's what the Cardinals did Heading into in this offseason, they did until they went and got Arnado, of course, and I get it. That's a different, that's position player compared to pitcher. But I think what we can learn from this team now is how how much faith they had in their development of pitching. I think we're going to get an idea of how what they had and how right they were. They were very confident in their bullpen heading into this season. So was I. Turns out that evaluation may have been wrong. They were very confident in the amount of starters that they had. Turns out that evaluation was wrong, but the reason they said that was because we've got up-and-coming guys like Libertor and Thompson. Now, granted, those guys may not get called up, but you saw what Tommy Parsons had. You like Johan Oviedo. You like Jake Woodford. There's a reason these three guys are in this organization, so I think they're going to use that patience, and they're going to see what they have in these guys when they get a starter opportunity. I think you will see Thompson and Libertor at some point this year. I just don't think it's going to be in the Cardinals' rotation. I think those guys, when they get to the big leagues, they're going to help you out of the bullpen, and so... Instead of maybe making a move at the deadline for a bullpen arm, maybe your acquisitions to fortify the pin are Libertor and Thompson. They're coming up from the minors. It might even be Tommy Parsons is another guy that you bring up from the minors at that point as a bullpen arm as well. I think the place where you're acquiring any talent at the deadline is probably your starting rotation. And I think this makes it even more likely that you have to get a top end guy because the Cardinals are in win now mode. You've got Yadier Molina. You've got Adam Wainwright. They're riding off into the sunsets of their career, whether it be this year or next. There's not much time left for guys that are 40 years old or nearing that. You've got Nolan Arenado, who you want to win with now. Paul Goldschmidt is nearing the end of his prime or potentially even at the front end of what is going to be the end of his career. You've got to start doing some winning now. And that's going to require them to make a potentially big move for the starting rotation. And that's the best spot for them to be able to do it. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. I've seen multiple people so far today bring up Madison Bumgarner's name as a trade option. Because Madison Bumgarner has not pitched well. If you're looking for a guy that puts up similar stats to Mad Bum, you've got him. It's Johan Oviedo. Mad Bum has not been significantly better than Oviedo so far this year. And he has four years left and... 
$75 million on his contract. That is not somebody that the Cardinals should consider acquiring unless unless the D-backs are willing to take on like all of the money. And that's not going to happen. There's there's no reason for them to do something like that. Yeah, the mad bum makes no sense because he's not pitched well. His velocity's gone down over years. And we had the Arizona broadcaster on uh, last week on the Day Max Show with BK. And he and the troubling thing he said about Madbum was he came into last season. Last year was the first year of that contract, and he was terrible. He said Madbum wasn't even preparing yep. while the pandemic was going on, which is a little troubling to hear that maybe he's just not working out as much in the offseason. Yeah, that's not something that the Cardinals would be interested in acquiring. So if you're if they're going to go out there, there's one name that makes all the sense in the world. If they're going to get a big-time pitcher, it's Max Scherzer. And they're just playing the wedding game. They're playing the waiting game to find out when the Nationals will officially decide. They're doing with the Nationals what they did with the Rockies. They waited and waited and waited because they knew they needed a superstar, and they knew eventually the Rockies would answer that phone call, and they would say, okay, what's it going to take for us to be able to get Nolan Arenado? I think that's what's happening right now with Max Scherzer, so we're gonna if get, I had to guess. We're going to get Scherzer for nothing, and we're going to get cash in return? <laughs> that's oh, right. Yes. That's how that's going to go. It's 116, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We're hoping to be joined by Bernard Gilkey at some point this hour. Hopefully, he is former Cardinals outfielder. Now he's with the Cardinals as a minor league instructor. Coming up next, the first choice that the Blues have to make this offseason is what they want to do with Jaden Schwartz. I thought Jamie Rivers said something very interesting about that decision yesterday. We'll let you hear it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Jaden Schwartz is in that situation right now where what is great? Two, three-year deal? I'm sure he's going to want six or seven. So that's the discussion, BT. You're Doug Armstrong. You're looking at this going... I've got a 29-year-old, I believe is what Jaden Schwartz is right now, 28 years old. So if you're looking at a five-year deal for Jaden Schwartz, it brings him to 32. I just don't know. Five-year deal at what AAV would you be thinking? It's not a five, four. I'm in at three to four as a lower uh, third or fourth line role, but I'm not in offering first line money without first line production. I thought that was a very interesting way to look at the Jaden Schwartz discussion. That was Jamie Rivers on the fast lane yesterday. You'll hear the guys coming up at two o'clock here on 101 ESPN. Hopefully coming up here in about 15 minutes or so, we'll be joined by Bernard Gilkey, former Cardinals outfielder, potentially catching up with him. I wanted to talk about this Jaden Schwartz discussion because what you just heard there from Jamie Rivers, I think is something the Blues are going to have to ask themselves. The Blues want an answer to their first line left wing problem. They don't have any answers for that. They were looking for somebody all season long, and they never seemed to find the guy that could just, you could write his name and pin next to O'Reilly and Perron, and they were consistently going to be your top line left winger. It could be Jaden Schwartz, but the production that we've seen out of him is more of a second or third line player, and that's not somebody you want to sign up for the next six or seven years at four, five, six million dollars per season. And that's where the rubber meets the road here. If I'm the Blues, I love having Jaden Schwartz back. But it has to be on my terms. It's got to be a four-ish year deal for around $4 million per season. And let's be honest, I don't think Schwartz is taking that. I think he's going to be able to find something elsewhere where the team convinces themselves we can get him back to those 2019, that 2019 form that he was in the playoffs. We can get that out of him consistently. We think we can get the best out of Jaden Schwartz. 
And if I'm the Blues, I'm Doug Armstrong. We've seen him do this before because he's great at his job. I say, okay, best of luck to you, Jaden Schwartz. We will forever remember the way that you played for us in 2019. We're always going to appreciate the contributions that he had here in St. Louis, but we just can't do that, realistically speaking, because I don't know how much better Schwartz is right now at this point in his career, given all of the injuries, than Brandon Sod. And if we're talking to Chris Kerber or Jamie Rivers or Brian Lawton, all of them seem to have that same idea of he's a second or third line left winger. I think the same thing's true of Brandon Sod. And if I can get Sod at cheaper, fewer years, I would probably make that type of a deal as opposed to Jaden Schwartz, who's going to be here for longer at the back end of his career where those years might hurt a little bit more and for more expensive. Yeah, I'm with you. And he, he's just, the problem for me is just the inconsistency. Because with inconsistency, I'm not going to pay you to be the top winger, as Jamie said. So I look at the Schwartz situation, and I'm with you. You know, If it's not at my price range, I'm not going to overpay for you. We, we appreciate what you did for us, but I'm sorry. We're going to have to let you walk. We did talk to Brian Lawton, former NHL general manager, player, and agent, and we asked him about his outlook on Jaden Schwartz this offseason. Well, I don't think anybody's going to hit the home runs that they'd like to. I think that we saw that last year, even the Blues signing a guy like Mike Hoffman, who's a pretty accomplished player. You know, the market just wasn't there. A lot of teams are up against the tap cap. That makes it more challenging. Um, but for a guy like Jaden Swartz, if you had asked me, certainly coming off the Stanley Cup playoff run he had, I'd say he's been in the mid to high sixes. If you ask me now, I'd say he'd be in the mid to low fives, best case scenario shorter-term deal than he would have liked and probably below five, to be honest with you, when you really dissect who could make a move like that for their team. If he's willing to take a four-year deal for $4 million per year, somewhere around there, I think he's a guy that I would love to have back in St. Louis. But if it is going to be that five to five and a half million dollars per season, and it's going to be four plus years on term for Jaden Schwartz, I just don't think that's something that makes sense for the Blues. Another thing that we talked to Chris Kerber about earlier today was Does it make sense to go after a big-time defenseman? Now, there's not a whole lot of those guys on the free agent market this offseason. It's not like last year where there was Alex Petrangelo, and if you didn't get him, you could turn your attention to Tory Krug. Those guys just aren't really out there this year. There is one player, though, that appears to be available via, via the trade market, and that's Seth Jones. He's in the final year of his deal with Columbus. He's $5.4 million against the cap this year, and he's got the size that the Blues have been looking for. He's six foot four, and he takes about 25 minutes on ice per game. Here's what Brian Lawton had to say about him and the potential of acquiring him in this offseason. Jamie's certainly a guy like that, a guy like Matt Dumba. You know, you'd be looking at teams that maybe just can't protect some of their good players if maybe you felt like you could, which I do believe St. Louis could. Uh, but really, the top guy on the market right now, bar none, without question, that would change a lot of teams' fortunes, including the St. Louis Blues, is Seth Jones. So here's the question is, do you go that high with your expectations for the Blues this offseason? They've got Colton Pareko, They've got Justin Falk. And both of those guys, you would think, are lined up for really good years next year as your top two pairing defensemen on the right side. I think my thing, Tanner, if you were going to make a deal like this for Seth Jones, this would be them showing a lack of faith, in my opinion, in Colton Pareko. If they were to make a deal like this, I think it would signify to me they're more worried about his back injury than they're letting on. And so that brings me to the idea. I don't think they're going to make a deal like this. If Seth Jones was left handed, totally in play. 
I think that's a possibility for the Blues. But being a right-handed defenseman, I think you create the issue that you were hoping to solve last year when you didn't bring back uh, Alex Petrangelo because then this once again throws Justin Falk's role into flux. Yeah, I'm with you. It throws Falk's role into flux, and we saw how he handled that. And whether or not that's fair or unfair, he just didn't perform well when he was not knowing what his role is as a number one defenseman. It's a difficult role to be in. Yeah, and I'm with you too because I look at it is when Petrangelo signed with Vegas, what did we hear from? I think it was, Armstrong, it was either Armstrong or Baruby. It was Preco's going to be the alpha dog in the locker room yeah, now. Doug Armstrong. So that signals to me, okay, so we believe Preco's the number one defenseman and we just lost a Hall of Fame caliber defenseman in Alex Petrangelo, the guy that was our captain that hoisted the cup for the first time in franchise history. If I'm making a move for a another elite defenseman that is right-handed, as you mentioned, that is a signal to me that Colton Preco's back is very concerning that Preco went from the guy that we looked at as the replacement for Petrangelo, and then the injury occurs, and now it becomes we're very concerned about what the heck Preco can be going forward, that we need to go get someone that can take that role up. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, Seth Jones, according to the 314, is far and away better than Pareko. He's a Norris caliber defenseman. Pareko is just a very good defenseman. That very well may be true. I think that you could you could parse whether or not Jones is better than Pareko, Pareko better than Jones. You could, we could have those discussions all day long. I think what the Blues would be telling you based on making this acquisition, if they went that route, is that they would agree with that sentiment. And if they agree with it, I think it would tell you that what you're seeing from Pareko next year might be the last time that you see it here in St. Louis. And I don't think that they're there. I think that the Blues are all in on Colton Pareko. And so that's why I don't think this is the type of move that they're going to be doing. I think the move that they would make on the defensive side of things is more of a Jamie Alexiak, who we've talked about a million times. He's a free agent. You could probably get him for a little bit cheaper and he would fix your left side pairing. And he just adds more size. The big move, if the Blues are going to make a big time acquisition, I think it is more on the forwards. I, I think it is somebody that helps you offensively and that's where they go make that big time addition. I think your top three defensemen next year will be already on the roster. Colton Pareko, Justin Falk, Tory Krug. Expect those to be your top three defensemen. Now it's about can you go acquire an elite level forward? I don't think they're going to do that on the defensive side of things. Yeah, I'm with you because to me, you look at that and that's the big thing is the scoring was very lackluster. The defense was pitiful, in my opinion. It just wasn't strong enough. And Kerber talked about when he was with us, you know, they didn't have that grit. Well, I think that's where you look at it, but I don't know if a big move is the way to do it because you already have two guys that are making over $6 million AAV on the defensive pairing in Falk. And, and about and to be Peru. three whenever Pareko gets and paid. And when Pareko gets there. And then you've got Scandella, who's on a contract, too. So to me, defense is not where you make the move. It is at the forward position. With Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. If you've missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page. It's all presented by, I promise, 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Bernard Gilkey. He's a former Cardinals outfielder. He's now working with the minor leaguers as an instructor. Talk to him about what he's seen down in the lower levels of the Cardinals system next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. We 
with Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex Ferrario out today, hoping to be back tomorrow. Not feeling well right now. Very happy, though, for us to be able to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by the former Cardinals outfielder, current Cardinals coach with the Rookie Ball affiliate. He is Bernard B- Gilkey joining us here on 101 ESPN. Bernard, we sincerely appreciate the time today. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing very well, Brandon, and yourself? Uh, doing all right, man. So uh, from what I understand, you're hanging out down there in South Florida with uh, some of the rookie ball guys. What What is life like right now for you guys? Well, I tell you, we have some early days out here, and we're doing a lot of uh, just training right now. We played our first game on yesterday uh, with the young guys, and uh, they they're really doing well. We're we're just really teaching them the game of baseball and trying to teach them fundamentals and and get them on their way. So what's this season been like for you? And I guess you can even go back as far back as last year as well, when there were no minor league seasons. Uh, what's it been like with everything kind of being thrown into flux last year and then this year starting a little bit later, having that extended spring training? What's the last I guess eighteen months or so been like for you? I tell you, it's been it's been very different. Uh, you know, just I guess as if uh, for everyone, we're making adjustments and you know trying to uh, follow the protocols and things like that. But it's been really tough without uh, having baseball for for such a long time. It's uh, I, I never can remember a time in my life where it went so long without the game. And for these guys. Uh, you know, it set them back a bit, you know, not being able to compete and, and going out there and doing the things they love. But uh, we're making some adjustments along the way and, and we're working hard and trying to get these guys on their way. I've been reading a lot over the last few days about the injuries that are taking place in the major leagues. And I've heard some murmurs about that potentially being the case as well in the minors. Have you noticed that, Bernard, of uh, so, some more injuries than you would typically expect this early in the season? Well, yes, we get the injury report every day, and it seems to uh, continue to grow, um, you know, with with freak injuries, guys with oblique muscles and, you know, and um, hammies and things like that. I think it's because of the lack of repetition of playing the game for the last, what, 18 months or so. Uh, probably he's catching up with them a little bit. You know, we're trying to throw them back into the fire and, you know, get them going. But um, we're keeping our, our, our eyes on that so that we can kind of pull back the workload and, you know, get these guys prepared. It's just been uh, a long layoff. Yeah, it's tough for everybody. And we're at, we're at least happy to have it back now. We're talking to Bernard Gilkey, former Cardinals outfielder, now a minor league instructor with the organization on 101 ESPN. Uh, Bernard, I, I'm curious, is are there any players in particular that have stood out to you with the way that they've been able to come back now after that year off? I know, if I'm not mistaken, I think you were a part of the alternate site camp there for a while. So whether it be from, from that time or now down in rookie ball, are there any guys in particular that have stood out to you? Well, yeah, there there are some guys that, uh, you know, really uh, made some waves, um, you know, um, Scott Hurst was doing really well, and I think now he's maybe on the IR and uh, uh, Newt Bar because I was working with the uh, the outfield a lot, and and these guys put a lot of effort into it. Um, actually, you know, Tyler O'Neill was down there for a while, Bader, and and those guys, and they really set a good example for the younger players down there. But 
hey, they all are really just uh, they're, they're working hard and, and just trying to catch back up. Bernard, I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned Tyler O'Neill. We saw last night, I don't know how much of the game, if any, you were able to catch out in L.A., but he had an unbelievable performance in the ninth inning. He hits a single, he steals second, he ends up coming home for what ended up being the game-winning run, and then in the bottom of the inning has an incredible catch in left field that ends the game. What was your impression of Tyler O'Neill when you had the opportunity to see him up close and in person? Well, you know, I hadn't been around him that much, but in that alternative site, I mean, the way he came down there and handled his professionalism as a, as a ball player was uh, it, it was really good to see, and I was very impressed with him. Uh, he came down there and he worked hard, and uh, he was eager to work. And you know, sometimes you don't see that in younger players, but he uh, he really put forth such an effort and. That's probably why it's paying off right now. He he was really engaged in it, and and I'm proud of him. You've been around this game for a long time, Bernard. Have you seen a player, or is there anybody that you can remember that had the type of speed-power combination that Tyler O'Neill has? It, it's amazing to watch. He, he is. He's a he's an exceptional talent, you know, and guys with, with power. And I, I played with one, you know, former uh, – well, he's a, he's a Cardinal uh, Hall of Famer, Ray Langford. You know, he had that power and speed and able and ability to take over a game at any given moment, you know. And Tyler, he has that. You know, we just like to st- uh, see him stay on the field, stay healthy, because when he is, he's a dynamic player. We're talking to Bernard Gilkey here on 101 ESPN for another few minutes. Bernard, you also mentioned that you had some time with Harrison Bader down at the alternate site as well. And before he got injured, man, was he looking like a different player at the plate? Did, was there anything that you saw him working on in particular down at that alternate site that led to the change in him at the plate this year, in your opinion? Well, well, actually, you know, I did have a lot of time to speak with him. You know, he he was very impressive, but he asked me, you know, questions and, you know, and I had an opportunity to, you know, work with him a little bit in the cage, not too much because that wasn't really my, uh, my, my job, but I helped Brandon Allen, which was a hidden instructor down there. And he's a hidden instructor in uh, Memphis right now. And he did such a great job with him, but he, he just really went about his, his work every day and did his routine and, Mentally, he wanted to uh, really come out there and make an impact on the team, which, like you said, when he was healthy, you know, he he was really turning it up offensively. And I think that he'll probably do the same as he works his way back into the lineup. On the defensive side of things, Bernard, is there anything in particular that stands out to you that makes him so special in center field? Yeah, he's another guy. Now, he really enjoys his work. He comes out there, he has special drills that he likes to do, which challenges him every day. And, uh, you know, he just doesn't want to come out and just catch fly balls and things like that. He he likes to catch line drives, sinking line drives off the bat, you know, and things to uh, really enhance his self uh, defensively. He takes balls live off of BP, which I think, it helps outfielders uh, increase their defensive skills so much better.
Bernard, I, I wanted to ask you, you know, you're, you're down in Florida right now. I don't know if you've been able to see much of this player, but the Cardinals took a third baseman last year in the first round by the name of Jordan Walker. And we talked with Michael Gersh last week, and he he had a high, high praise for what Walker's done when he's been healthy. He's another guy that is now on the injured list, actually. Have you been able to see any of him down there in Florida? And if so, what, what's been your early impressions of him? Well, well, I did. I caught a, a tail end of a Palm Beach game down there, and uh, wow, he hits the ball. I'm telling you, like, like he's been here before. You know, he, he hit some really solid line drives in the gap, and they say he has an, an unbelievable power. Um, but he is a very nice kid to talk to. I sat down and spoke with him for a while, and, you know, he's just such a really uh, intelligent kid, and he wants to work. And I think that day uh, they were facing uh, DeGrom or um, Syndergaard, one of them, and, you know, he was he was impressed by it, but he was asking questions and, he kind of really picked up on the pitches and things like that. So he, he feels like he can catch up with that. And, you know, he has the utmost confidence and the kid is, has a bright future. Incredible. Uh, Bernard, last thing that I've got for you. I, I was reading about some of your background and it, it appears that you were you had a role in Men in Black back in the late nineties. Can, can you tell us like who who approaches who in that scenario and how did that come to be for you? You know, you know, it's strange because you know my agent he came uh, to me with that uh, offer, and actually I thought he was kidding. You know, he said there's a sci-fi movie that you know they want you to you know, play a role in and, uh, it's Tommy Lee Jones and, uh, Will Smith. And, and I was more so like, Oh, I think you're kidding me. You know? <laughs> so he's pulling my leg. I, I never really kind of committed to it. And then about a week or so later, they said, Hey, they really want to know if you want to do this. And so I, I said, yes. And I, and I asked him, I said, well, why did they choose me? So evidently Steven Spielberg watches ESPN too, because they did a special on guys who eyes light up as the ball come and they're about to make contact. And I guess I won the competition because <laughs> my eyes got real big. And so they chose me for that, for that role. So what, how long were you a part of the filming? Was that like a one day thing? Were you there for a week? How, how did that go for you? Yeah, it was a one-day thing after a after a night game uh, in uh, in New York at the time, and that scene right there took about four and a half five hours. To it's do. incredible. <laughs> Were you able to meet Will Smith? Like, did you get any swag uh, out of this, or what? What was the after oh, effects? Yeah, the after effect was pretty. It, it was a, a bummer because they did like the uh, the opening. You know how they they do the big party and do things like that, but we were playing during the summertime, so I did not get a chance to go to the uh, opening on that. What are your kids more impressed by, Bernard? The fact that you were a major leaguer, now you're a major league coach, or or are they more impressed by the fact that at one point in your life you had a role in Men in Black? Well, you know I'm a father. It takes a lot to uh, impress your kids, <laughs> but I tell you what. I, sometimes fans that come up to me, you know, and hey, Bernard, you, uh, uh, we remember you as a player, but you were in Men in Black, and so people, you know, they're more sometimes uh, interested in that than 
all the time I put on the field, I tell you. I love it. Hey, Bernard, thanks so much for hopping on with us today. We wish you all the best down there in Florida. Enjoy the warm weather, and we'll talk with you again soon, my friend. Thank you, Brandon. I appreciate you guys. Absolutely. That is Bernard Gilkey, former Cardinals outfielder, current Cardinals coach with the Rookie Ball affiliates down there, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Always like getting the update on what some of the young guys are doing. And anybody that you talk to about this for, this first-round pick from 2020, Jordan Walker, that the Cardinals got, the reviews of what they have seen from him so far, and it's very early, have been nothing but glowing. I mean, it, it's amazing some of the things that you hear people say. So keep an eye on Jordan Walker. He's going to be the next one worth watching. I also love the comparison that he made for Tyler O'Neill. said he reminds him of a for, former Cardinals outfielder, now Cardinals Hall of Famer, in Ray Lankford. It's a very interesting comp for Tyler O'Neill. I don't think that he has quite the same bat-to-ball skills that Ray Lankford had, but if you're looking for a guy that had 30-plus home run power and 25-plus stolen base speed, that's probably a pretty good one to look at. That's better than the concoction I made. It's it's a little better than the one that you came up with. With Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll cross things over with the fast lane next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. And I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're expecting to have Alex Ferrario back tomorrow. He was feeling a little under the weather today. We're crossing things over with Jamie Rivers, former superstar blues defenseman in studio with us now. What's going on, Jamie? Not much. I can't believe Ferrario took a day off. All right. Yeah. I've like, never heard he that one be before. Hockey guy battled through it. Like, I don't get it. So what I understand is I think he's got another couple of days coming up a couple of weeks from now. And he's taking off like a full week here in about a month. Yeah, he's he's taking off all of the he's vacation. Going MIA. What does he think? He's Jack Flaherty? He's taking my vacation plan. <laughs> <laughs> my July Too of soon. 2020 vacation plan. He's on that now. Well, as long as he doesn't take my vacation plan of a year and a half ago, we'll be fine. I would recommend against that. Yeah. Yeah. Although it was it worked. It, it did. <laughs> it did. The pandemic hit. Jamie yeah. got promoted a couple of times. Yeah, oh, it's been, listen. It's been great listen, for him. Listen, from the godfather of pandemic promotions himself, <laughs> PK. The godfather of <laughs> pandemic promotions. I love it. Uh, Jamie, what's coming up today on the Fast Lane, man? Well, we're obviously going to talk about the Redbirds last night. Tyler O'Neill, Bro Neal himself, Mr. Canada, uh, coming up big. He's been playing really well lately. Uh, obviously, we know that. But we're going to dive into that a little bit. Uh, unfortunately, we're going to have to dive into Jack Flaherty of that situation. The Cardinals with what I believe and everybody believes they got a rotation problem here. Who's going to step up? Can they absorb this? Can they outlast it? We're going to talk about all that. We got BT with us. So, you know, the full crew, we kind of have an expert on this. The full crew's in today. Full crew is in. Well, meat is still on vacation. Good Lord. Yeah. He's never here. This guy drops ninja bombs. He's gone. I can't find him for weeks. Unbelievable. That's coming up from two to six. We'll be back tomorrow at 11. Hopefully with Alex Ferrario right here on 101 ESPN. Mm. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast powered by I promise. 
The Venture X Card from Capital One gives you more of what you love, like premium travel benefits and access to Taylor Swift tickets. Oh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and 10 times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. Plus, get access to Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, presented by Capital One. Maybe I'll see you there. The Venture X Card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. on the professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts to recommend the best products for your vehicle and budget. Get maximum cooling system performance for 10 years or 300,000 miles with Peak Long Life Universal Pre-Mixed Antifreeze and Coolant. Now just $3.99 after mail-in rebate. Limit supply. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit O'ReillyAuto.com. Oh, oh, oh.